Okay, we're going to call to order the 6 p.m. regular meeting of the Berkeley City Council. If the council members on Zoom can please rejoin us so we can start the meeting. Okay. Good evening, and I'd like to call to order the regular meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. And before we proceed to a roll call, I'd like to ask the city clerk to play the COVID-19 meeting announcement recording. Certainly one moment. This meeting will be conducted in a hybrid format pursuant to government code section 54953E and the state declared emergency. This meeting will be conducted through teleconference and Zoom video conference as well as in-person participation. The COVID-19 state of emergency continues to impact the ability of council members to meet safely in person and presents risk to the health of attendees. Please be mindful that this meeting may be recorded as any public meeting may be recorded and all rules of procedure and decorum apply for persons participating by teleconference, video conference, or in person. To access the meeting remotely using the internet, join from your device using the URL indicated on the agenda for this meeting. If you do not wish for your name to appear on the screen, use the drop-down menu and click on Rename to rename yourself to be anonymous. To request to speak, use the raise hand icon on the screen. To join by phone, dial the number indicated on the agenda and enter the meeting ID. If you wish to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, press star nine and wait to be recognized by the chair. For in-person participation, proof of up-to-date COVID-19 vaccination or verified negative COVID-19 test is required. In-person attendees are required to wear a mask that covers their nose and mouth for the duration of the meeting. If you are feeling sick, please do not attend in person. Thank you very much. The first item on our agenda is roll call. I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Kazarwani? Here. Taplin? Here. Bartlett? Present. Harrison? Here. Hahn? Present. Wengroff? Present. Robinson? Present. Humbert? Present. Mayor Arguin. Present. All members are present. Thank you very much. Before we proceed to the next order of business, I would like to report out from the actions the City Council took yesterday in closed session. City Council met in closed session on January 30, 2023, and pursuant to Government Code Section 54956.9D2, the City Council, one, provided direction to outside council and approved a settlement by compromise and release as to the workers' compensation matter, WCAB case number ADJ 835942. The City Council also provided direction to outside council and approved a settlement by compromise and release as to workers' compensation matter, case numbers ADJ 9211119, ADJ 15749921, and ADJ 15521282. And the council also provided direction to outside council and approved a settlement by compromise and release as to the workers' compensation matter, WCAB, uh, case number ADJ 3710721. 
The city council also met in closed session and authorized the city attorney to settle the case of Owens versus the city of Berkeley, U.S. District Court case number 22CV02715, YGR, in the amount of $22,500 in exchange for a full release of claims through the settlement date. With respect to the other items, there is no reportable action. Um, I'd like to call attention now to the land acknowledgement statement. We'll not read that today, but encourage members of the public to review the land acknowledgement statement and recognize that we are on the ancestral and unceded land of the Chechenya speaking Ohlone people who are still here to this day. We'll proceed now to ceremonial matters. And first, uh, special order of business, we are going to be rece receiving a presentation from the Bay Area Community Land Trust um, on their work. Um, uh, which has been partially funded by the city of Berkeley to expand affordable housing. And I understand we're joined today by um, Tracy Parent from Bay Area Community Land Trust. And you have a presentation, so take it away, Tracy. Thank you, Mayor Adegine. Hello, I'm Tracy Parent, the director of the Bay Area Community Land Trust. Thank you for allowing us some time to share with you our recent work and impact in Berkeley this past year. I'm going to try to share my presentation. The Land Trust is a nonprofit whose mission is to create permanently affordable housing by taking land and housing out of the speculative market and stabilizing our neighborhoods by creating housing co-ops that are affordable to low-income households. The Land Trust is different from other affordable housing nonprofits in that we acquire and preserve buildings in which existing low-income residents already live in their existing homes in their existing neighborhoods, preserving the socioeconomic fabric of our existing neighborhoods. Also, while other affordable housers don't see small buildings as financially feasible, we are able to acquire and stabilize apartment buildings smaller than 25 units because our model cultivates resident self-management and shared ownership through the co-op model. Also, we can preserve units at a cost of less than 700,000 per unit, while tax credit housing units now cost over a million dollars per unit. And the Land Trust is a democratically governed member-based organization in which community members vote to elect the board of directors, which has four seats reserved just for resident members to ensure that they have input and participation in these community assets. The Land Trust was founded in 2008, but had slow beginnings as there wasn't dedicated local funding for our acquisition model. Before the city's small site fund was established in 2017, the Land Trust depended on generous property owners who were willing to donate or sell at below market prices. From 2008 to 2018, we acquired and preserved three properties with 18 units. Two of them are now limited equity housing co-ops, while a third is still in formation. In 2013, a beautiful three-unit property at the corner of Derby and Walker was donated to the Land Trust, and we converted it into the Derby Walker Housing Co-op, the first new limited equity housing co-op in Berkeley in 18 years. In 2015, a beautiful 10-unit rental property at the corner of Ellsworth and Parker was donated to the Land Trust, and we have been working with the residents to form their own affordable housing co-op, 
through ongoing education and trainings on self-management and stewardship. Also in 2015, the 28-year-old existing Ninth Street Limited Equity Housing Co-op partnered with the Land Trust through a long-term ground lease to ensure it remains permanently affordable and with long-term stewardship as a community asset. Since the creation of the city's small site program in 2017, we have stabilized two more properties with 21 units in Berkeley, both of which required significantly more renovations than we originally planned. But despite many unfortunate challenges through the pandemic, these two projects were finally completed in 2022 and into early 2023. 1638 Stewart Street is a partnership with the historic McGee Avenue Baptist Church, which owned this eight unit apartment building that was unoccupied and falling apart for decades as the church's majority African-American community faced years of displacement and outmigration due to the ever increasing housing prices in Berkeley. Together with the city of Berkeley's small site program, we were able to provide a deep rehab of the building, creating one fully accessible wheelchair unit. And we marketed it to the broad community, bringing in a diverse group of low-income households who are now beginning to form their own co-op. It was a rough rehab, but with much support from the larger community. And through the challenges of the pandemic, we were able to create a beautiful outcome. We completed the interior rehab by July of 2022, marketed it to the community, and eight low-income households were able to move in by September. I'd like to share with you the story of Miss Betty Gray. Reverend Betty Gray was featured on KQED in 2014 for her longtime contributions to the South Berkeley neighborhood. She received a commendation from Mayor Arreguin in 2020 as a spiritual steward of the city and as the owner of South Berkeley-based Alice's Relaxing Bath and Gift Shop on Alcatraz Avenue. In May of 2022, after suffering several serious falls, Reverend Gray was wheelchair-bound and hadn't been able to leave her second-floor apartment. Berkeleyside reported on her situation and her challenge in finding an accessible, affordable apartment in South Berkeley. In June, she applied for one, um, for the one and only fully wheel wheelchair accessible apartment at 1638 Stewart Street. And although she was number 13 on the lottery list, she became the top candidate for that apartment and by September had moved into her new home. And a follow-up story by Berkeley side, she said, quote, the first day I got here, I went outside, I looked at the sun in the trees, and I watched the monarch butterflies. She reports that she's so happy that she's, quote, doing donuts in her new home. 1685 Solano Avenue, the 13-unit apartment building, where the tenants were under active Ellis Act eviction since 2019. Although most of the residents were displaced by the time we were able to purchase the building in June 2022, three of the longtime residents have been stabilized and 10 units will be occupied by low-income households earning less than 80% of median income. Three of these beautiful apartments are reserved for very low-income households earning less than 50% median income through the Housing Authority's project-based voucher program. 
We expect to complete the renovation in March of this year and we'll work with the residents to become a resident controlled housing co-op in the, in the coming year. These two properties took a long time to get over the finish line, especially during the very challenging two year peak of the pandemic, which really impacted our small nonprofit organization. Now that we'll complete Solano Avenue in March, we can look forward to our next acquisition or two in Berkeley this year. In 2023 and 2024, we aim to complete the renovation of Solano Avenue and lease up all 10 apartments with low-income households. We aim to complete the conversion of the Brown Shingle Mutual Housing resident group into an official resident-operated housing co-op. One of our priorities is to acquire and preserve buildings in which existing residents um, are at risk of displacement or losing their affordability. So if you get a call from your constituents expressing fear of displacement, please keep us in mind. We aim to acquire at least one occupied apartment building in Berkeley per year with anywhere from 10 to 20 units per building and then convert it into a co-op. And with the new vacancy tax approved last November, we believe we can encourage and inspire owners of vacant properties to sell to the land trust, to reinvest into those units as permanently affordable. With the city's continued support of our work through grants that support our capacity building and our co-op education program, we are confident that we'll have more impact in Berkeley in this new year. So please keep us in mind when your constituents, either renters or owners, reach out to ask what the city can do. Call the Bay Area Community Land Trust. Thank you so much, uh, Tracy, for joining us today. And we're just so grateful for all the work that BACLT does in the partnership with the city of Berkeley, which we have funded through our Measure U1 um, tax on large properties to help support preservation and protection of existing tenants. And um, look forward to, you know, continue to support the great work you're doing and helping just build your capacity to deliver on these important preservation projects in our city. I want to recognize Councilmember Bartlett for his leadership in helping move the Stewart Street project forward at the Biggie Avenue Baptist Church. And Councilmember Han for, we talked about affirmatively furthering for our housing. Well, her work helped ensure that we actually are able to acquire and provide affordable housing and a multi-unit property on Solano Avenue. And Councilmember Harrison for her leadership in authoring the vacancy tax. So um, encourage my colleagues to reach out to BACLT if you have any questions. I want to thank you, Tracy, for joining us this evening. Thank you very much. Okay. We'll proceed to the next uh, presentation. Um, is anyone here tonight on the, either in the boardroom or um, uh, on Zoom here um, to receive the proclamation uh, in recognition of James Reagan? If so, please raise your hand. Um, if not, I'll, I'll read this and we'll be sure to get it to the family of James Reagan. So we were very sad to learn recently of the passing of James Michael Reagan. Many of us knew him as a longtime member of the West Berkeley community and an advocate for the homeless. Um, and I want to read some excerpts of this proclamation, uh, which we will uh, provide to the family of James Reagan. Um, remembering and honoring James Michael Reagan for his outstanding service to the city of Berkeley. Whereas James Michael Regan was an active community member involved in numerous local issues, including housing, serving the homeless community, and supporting the city's most vulnerable populations for over 37 years. He served on the board of Consider the Homeless, 
was actively involved in the creation of the Youth Spirit Artworks Tiny Home Project, was a member of the People's Park Advisory Board, a coordinator at the Dorothy Day House Emergency Storm Shelter, participant in the Berkeley Homeless Task Force, which I helped launch, and he served for many years on the Human Welfare and Community Action Commission as a commissioner. He was an active participant, and many of us remember seeing him um, for over 14 years, expressing his voice and knowledge on issues such as sheltering the homeless, uh, fighting for the needs of our elderly, and solutions to addressing poverty. Um, he actually, in addition, set up 14 homeless shelters in seven states, provided supportive programs to tribal nations, and was also involved in the creative arts and music industry. James Michael Reagan will be greatly missed and is recognized for his incredible community service. Now, therefore, be it resolved that we, the mayor and the city council of Berkeley, do hereby honor James Michael Reagan for his dedication and commitment and service to the Berkeley community. And we will be sure to get this to the family and friends of James Michael Reagan. We want to take this opportunity to honor and thank him for his work. And we're deeply saddened on his passing and ask that we adjourn our city council meeting in honor of James Michael Reagan. And then lastly, we want to present a proclamation to the Maktab Tarigat OEC MTO Shagshudi Day, MTO Day in the city of Berkeley. I know we have many representatives here from MTO. And I'm going to move over Mana. Ms. Ziri, um, representing MTO Berkeley to the panelist side. Um, I thought I saw Mana here um, to receive the proclamation. I'll just read some excerpts of it and we'll, we will be providing this to you. Um, so let me move you over one second. And I just want to recognize MTO Berkeley, which is on Telegraph Avenue, has done incredible volunteer work um, during the pandemic, um, organizing PPE drives. Um, organizing um, school supply drives, providing um, sundries and meals to people who are food insecure. And it's just really been an incredible part of our community, um, providing incredible volunteerism um, to support our, our neediest in the Berkeley community. And we're just so very grateful for all that you do and just the ongoing service to the Berkeley community. So I'll just read a few excerpts of this proclamation. Whereas the MTO Berkeley Center has distinguished itself through acts of community service and charitable works dedicated to supporting the citizens of Berkeley, frontline heroes, and the less fortunate and unhoused. And whereas the MTO Center is located in the Berkeley City Council District 3, has long been active in the community through service projects and interfaith dialogue to bring greater tolerance, understanding, and support to the Berkeley community. And since the spring of 2010, the MTO Berkeley Center has offered semester-long courses for units of academic credit to students at the University of California, Berkeley, through the university's DECAL project. And when the COVID-19 pandemic began, MTO saw an immediate and immeasurable need to support our most vulnerable populations, including low-income families, seniors, um, the undocumented, and children, and decided to act swiftly in organizing relief, aid, and care package drives. MTO uh, volunteers have handcrafted thousands of masks, assembled thousands of food care packages and hygiene kits, distributed thousands of school supplies and toys, provided online access to free meditation and stress reduction sessions in 11 languages, including Spanish and Hebrew, to help cultivate peace of mind during these very troubling times. And M MTO, in accordance with the teachings of Sufism, has upheld this tradition of service and charity and through these initiatives has received numerous proclamations, recognitions, and acknowledgments from community leaders, political leaders, and religious organizations across the globe. 
Now, therefore, be it resolved that I just yet again the mayor of the city of Berkeley to hereby honor and commemorate and, and, and recognize February 4, 2023 as MTO Day in the city of Berkeley in recognition of that the service that the organization's members and volunteers provide to support the well-beings of the citizens of Berkeley. So we will provide this to you in person, um, but want to turn the floor over to you, Mana, if you'd like to offer any brief comments to the city council tonight. Absolutely, yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Mana Nazeri. I would like to uh, thank um, Mayor Aragon and esteemed council members on behalf of the students and volunteers of MTO Shah Mahsudi School of Islamic Sufism. Please accept our heartfelt um, appreciation for this honor and recognition. Our school has always been involved in charitable work. However, during pandemic, we ramped up our efforts to help our community, especially the most vulnerable and those in need. As practicing Muslims, we consider it our responsibility and honor to provide service based on love to our community. As we do charitable work, we bring back balance to our community and to our lives. I would like to express our heartfelt appreciation and gratitude to the city council, Mayor Aragon, and everyone in the mayor's office who helped us amplify MTO's message of unity in our community. I would also like to give a big shout out to Diana, who's been working with me since October to make this declaration a reality. Thank you to all of you. Thank you so much, Mana, for joining us tonight. And once again, thank you to MTO for all the incredible volunteer work that you do to serve um, our community. And we're just so grateful to have um, you as a valued partner in our city. And um, we'll be sure to get this proclamation to you in person. So thank you very much. Thank you. We appreciate your partnership. Thank you. Okay, that um, that completes ceremonial matters. So once again, I'd like to ask for unanimous consent that we adjourn tonight's City Council meeting in honor of James Michael Reagan. So with that, we'll proceed to the next order of business, City Manager comments. I'd like to recognize our City Manager, Dee williams Ridley. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, no comments this evening, but thank you for the opportunity. Okay, thank you so much. So now we'll proceed to public comment on non-agenda matters. And this is an opportunity for any members of the public here in the boardroom at 1231 Addison Street or on Zoom who would like to speak on anything that's not on our published city council agenda to please um, either raise your hand on Zoom or if you are here in the boardroom to please come forward to speak at the, the podium. So I'd like to ask, are there any um, members of the public here at 1231 Addison who would like to speak on non-agenda matters? Okay, I don't see anyone present here um, for non-agenda matters. So is there anyone on Zoom? Please raise your hand at this time. Um, and pursuant to the Berkeley City Council rules of procedure and order, as there are more than five speakers, um, time allotted will be one minute per speaker. Um, so we'll go to the first raised hand, which is Jonah Gottlieb. And you should now be able to speak. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor um, and City Council members. Uh, my name is Jonah. I'm a UC Berkeley student, as well as a uh, tenant in the city of Berkeley and, a, and the secretary of the Berkeley Tenants Union. Um, I'm just making this comment today to offer, in the spirit of collaboration, the Berkeley Tenants Union as a resource for you all to work with. I have noticed that recently tenant organizations in Berkeley have largely been sidelined side and looked over, and items that gravely concern us 
um, have been brought forth without first being discussed with organizations on the ground who work with and are comprised of tenants. So I really ask that you work with the elected rent board, work with tenant organizations, send us your ideas, come to us with draft legislation before it's brought before the council so that ideally we don't have to have big fights every single week over these, you know, controversial bills, but we can work together to create a better Berkeley for our tenants. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go to our next speaker, Ilana Auerbach, and you should now be able to speak. Please go ahead. Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for the time. Um, three things. First, I was there today at the Here There uh, when the Here There encampment was dismantled, and it was really sad. Uh, one thing, there was a giant solar panel that some of the former residents were, were wanting, they, they moved some other solar panels. There was a giant one that one of the homeless response team staff said, told them to take away, to, to be, you know, added to landfill. And so um, I, it, we intervened and hopefully Urban Ore is going to get that you know, because it's usable. We need to do better um, with, you know, there's so much waste. Ceasefire, what is the status of ceasefire? Or I urge, I've emailed, I haven't heard back from anybody. Um, I, I urge you to move this project. We need to get a ceasefire program out on our streets, move it out from under the auspices of BPD. And I wanna second everything that Jonah Gottlieb just said um, and extend the demolition uh, ordinance to 10 years, not five. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, we'll go next to Russell Bates, followed by Ber the name Berkeley Tenants Union. Russell Bates, please uh, go ahead. All right, thank you very much. Uh, when I hear you folks and people in power talking about Berkeley values, I'm not sure if you're mocking that or what. When I, what I saw exhibited today here there, uh, you seem to be mocking Berkeley values, whether it's from the city manager's office of public works and or the police department. It seems like they keep saying, well, we're just doing our job. I said, yeah, that's what the Nazis said too. You know, just following orders. Um, I would suggest that their union stand up for them and say, hey, we're not gonna take people's homes anymore. We're not gonna steal their stuff. They're not gonna put stuff into the dumpster taking it to the dump. We're not going to do that anymore. Stand up to power. Antagonize those suckers. The city manager should be fired. She should have been gone a long time ago. I don't know why you're not doing it now. We've had enough of her. Bye-bye, Dee. See you soon. Okay, we'll go to our next raised hand, Berkeley Tenancy, and followed by Ava. Berkeley Tenancy, you can now speak. Please unmute yourself. Hi there, Paola Laverde, chair of the Berkeley Tenants Union. And I'm just calling out on the city council and the shenanigans um, regarding putting the demolition ordinance both on the planning commission meeting and at the four by four on the same day. I know they're gonna provide recommendations, but how is that being helpful? You know, it just shows that, you know, that, I mean, if, you know, we, the, the Berkeley tenants were able to speak up against the, the, the way that, you know, Casa, like, uh, council member Casawani's uh, item was put on. You didn't do that with TOPA, but all of a sudden a policy that the city has never, excuse me, Mr. Mayor, 
a policy that the mayor, uh, that the city council has never taken up was all of a sudden taken up. We haven't done that with TOPA. Please, please reject the uh, council member Kosovani's proposed amendments and leave the demolition ordinance in place. And also I would love to see the mayor in pictures for new TOPA buildings, new TOPA buildings. I'd love to see you in those pictures, Mr. Mayor. You look so happy. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, we'll go to our last speaker on this round of public comment on non-agenda matters. Ava, you should now be able to speak and please unmute yourself. Thank you, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I only have a home because of the city of Berkeley and I'm so grateful for that. And I was devastated to learn that the Here There camp uh, was being evicted. Uh, this was considered the model camp. And um, there was even a CBS News article. I mean, really, really made the mainstream news um, recognized um, for, you know, their their excellent organization and and uh just just a remarkable group of people i'm heartbroken i i just i just am and i like i i don't want to say anything in in some ways because i i worry about losing my home but but couldn't couldn't something else have been done um this was a really extraordinary camp and i hope that's recognized and i hope that something's done Thank you. Um, thank you all for your comments this evening. We'll have another public comment period on non-agenda matters at the conclusion of our agenda tonight. Um, so we'll now proceed to the consent calendar and I'd like to um, kick off discussion. I'd like to suggest we move item 22, a resolution authorizing REAP 2.0 for higher impact transformative activities. It's a potential grant opportunity for our Ashby BART development. BART has all already adopted a similar resolution. This is a requirement to apply for the grant. I'd like to ask that we move item 22 to the consent calendar. Is there any objection to taking that action? Here, no objection though with the action. And item 23 um, from Councilmember Bartlett entitled Outcomes-Based Funding, Pay for Success and Social Impact Bonds. I'd like to recommend that we adopt the committee's recommendation, which is to send the item um, to the city attorney to provide guidance on how the city can implement outcomes-based funding request an implementation analysis from the city manager and request information on, on whether or not this program can be uh, used with external funds or city grant funds. Um, um, that was the outcome, I think, of a thoughtful discussion at the Budget and Finance Committee. I'd like to ask that we move item 23 to adopt the committee's recommendation to the consent calendar. Is there any objection to taking that action? Councilman Robinson, you're fine with that? Okay, hearing no objection, that, that'll be the action. Lastly, item 24, Amending the City Council Rules of Procedure in order to allow policy committee tracked items with budget referrals to be referred to the Budget Committee and one subject matter policy committee. I'd like to recommend that we adopt the committee's recommendation, but with the following modification, that we set the, the, the deadline for items to be submitted for the um, uh, April 10th Agenda and Rules Committee. Um, that would be for the April 25th Council Agenda. So that would give the council members the entire spring recess to prepare and submit any items um, to be considered and also um, evaluate in time for consideration for the budget process. Um, the March 6th deadline is a bit unrealistic at this point as we're January 31st. So this would, this would 
be the April 25th council agenda. So I'd like to suggest we move item 24 with that modification, changing the March 6, 2023 meeting to the April 25th, 2023 meeting, but we move that to the consent calendar. Is there any objection to taking that action on consent? Okay, hearing no objection, that'll be the action. And that leaves the land use appeals the only action item. So we'll now go to Councilman Robinson. Just one comment for you tonight, uh, my dear colleagues. At the end of last year, I came to you with a tremendous uh, and significant budget request asking that at the midpoint of the budget cycle, we allocate an additional $1 million to help us close the funding gap on the Southside Complete Streets project for many of the same reasons that we were just talking about with T1, primarily cost overruns uh, and you know, issues we've run into along the way through the design process. I want to expend my gratitude to the council once again for answering that call, for allocating that $1 million and helping us close the gap. Item six on the agenda today is the RFP for the Southside Complete Streets Project, uh, and I'm incredibly relieved and excited that it's moving forward to Liam uh, and Eric and Kenneth and everyone on the Public Works team that has helped move mountains to make sure that we were able to keep this on deadline uh, and make sure that we can break ground this year. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's all. Thank you. We'll go next to Council Member Hahn. Thank you very much. Um, on item seven, grant application funding from California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection to implement an incentive program for residents of the very high fire hazard severity zone. I want to thank and commend the fire department for putting this forward. It will provide much needed funding to supplement city of Berkeley funds to finally actively implement our vegetation management and other fire safety programs so that people in the fire hazard zones will actually manage their own property. There is a lot of focus on the city needing to manage its trees and parks, and actually we've been very actively doing that. But the fact of the matter is, is that the hazards are primarily on private property. And uh, so this, this grant will go a huge way to supplement our efforts and really launch that program aggressively. And I'm really excited about that. Um, I also wanted to thank um, uh, Scott Ferris and Parks and Recreation folks for item 12. Um, the King Swim Center needed just a little bit more money to complete some renovations there, and um, I really appreciate their um, making sure that that project can be completed. Um, also want to thank them for providing me with extra information that I had asked for on item 13. Appreciated the opportunity to review that. Um, I had a quick question on item 18, which is the um, electrical for the MLK quick build project. Um, I wanted to know if that project needed um, fire marshal review and sign off, and if it does, if it received that. I guess that would be for public works. I could wait and get my answer later. If... Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. I want to make sure that gets done. Um, and did I have anything else that you didn't already do? Uh, I did want to thank um, Councilmember Robinson 
for item 20, the parking, towing, fines, and fees reform. This is something that was envisioned in a number of referrals that were kind of broader that were made, I think, by myself and Councilmember Bartland, possibly the mayor, Councilmember Harrison. I can't even remember. There were several of them um, that were broader projects, but Councilmember Robinson really took a, a close look and found a couple of really significant improvements that we could go ahead and implement right away. And um, they go a long way towards providing equity, small fixes um, with big impact. And I really wanna thank him for um, putting that item forward and making it happen. Um, and then it looks like everything else uh, on, was sent to consent, right, Mayor? Everything other than the- um, Yes. Quick question clarification on the amendment you made to Item 24. Yes. Um, were you saying that? Um, Which we discussed item, prior to this meeting. Yeah. Yes, I know, but I just had a date, small date question. Well, you said would, April 25 the, meeting? The April 25th meeting, so it goes to the agenda and rules meeting of April 10th. Um, okay. Um, That's why. All right. Yeah, so it was because the way it was originally written. Yes, it yeah. was. So the deadline is actually the agenda committee meeting for the April 25 meeting. And I just wanted to make I, sure- That would be for the April 25th agenda. Exactly, um, but the deadline is the agenda committee meeting. Yes. Not to walk yeah. things into the meeting itself. Which is um, right after the spring recess. Exactly, I just wanted to super clarify that because I know that's gonna be an important date. Yes. For um, my council colleagues. So with that, I say thank you and look forward to the rest of the meeting. Vice Mayor Bartlett. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. And uh, I'm very happy about uh, uh, this set of uh, set of measures here. I wanted to quickly call out um, my pleasure um, with I'm 13. This is the Grove Park Playground rebuild. Uh, thank you, Director Ferris, for meeting with me and and going through it, and uh, hopefully it turns out as beautiful as the design appeared. Um, and then also, uh, I'd like to call out, uh, I'm 18, uh, this is the quick build on MLK, and this came out of our community walks. We we walked uh, with community members throughout the district and looked at problem streets, problematic streets where, where there was danger and pedestrian fatalities and injuries, uh, and this is one of the recommendations that came out of it. So these are quick, you know, quick builds. <laughs> they go up quickly and they, they ideally will divert traffic and slow traffic and make it safer. Uh, and item 20, of course, I want to thank Councilor Robinson for uh, really delivering this plan we talked about and worked on for many years uh, to no avail. Um, this effort to reform um, punitive parking uh, and towing fines. And so thank you for your work on that. Really happy to be a co-sponsor. Uh, and number 23, uh, looking, see, looking forward to hearing this develops the uh, social impact bond model. Uh, I think this uh, could be very useful for this council uh, to deliver a change at a much more cost-effective and outcomes-oriented manner. Thanks so much. Thank you. Councilmember Harrison? Uh, yes, I also wanted to thank Chief Sprague for item seven. I think it's um, great that we were moving ahead with this. We have had years of notification that this is a problem, this, the brush that we have in the hills, and we have to do something about it. So thank you. I went to a meeting of the Hillside Group um, 
because Councilmember Wangraff was out of town. And it was very um, instructive to hear people's concerns and to look at some of their properties and understand what they're actually facing with the amount of under, uh, growth that has occurred up there. Um, I also wanted to thank Councilmember Robinson for item uh, 21. Uh, sorry, <laughs> 20. Um, you know, it's it's really easy to just think about a parking ticket being a parking ticket. But for somebody without any resources, it's not. It's the gateway to losing your car and then possibly losing your job and then possibly losing where you live and maybe even your kids. And I know that sounds dramatic, but that's how people end up in a cycle of poverty. So we cannot be the front end of that. I hate to see cities like ours be the, the place responsible for starting that trajectory. So thank you very much, um, Councilmember Robinson. I'm looking forward to this very much. Um, and then I wanted to ask one question about item six. I noticed that the first contract that is on here for um, invitation for bids is for the affordable housing in lieu fee study. Um, many of you are probably aware I have submitted a supplemental as an alternative to what was approved at the January 17th meeting. And I wanted to ask uh, Dr. Varhus or the city manager uh, to be sure to not issue this RFP until a final decision has been made. I understand we're going back to a first reading on the affordable housing fees. So I think it's a little untimely to uh, go ahead with the RFP, but I don't want to hold up approving the money in case you need that for you know, bureaucratic reasons or need to get started. So can either you or Ms. Fredrickson or Dr. Varhus address that? Are we gonna wait to design this RFP until we know exactly what the council's voted on? Good evening, Mayor and Council. We'll be happy to work with you on the timing of that. Um, should it be necessary? They it's a lot of work to draft an RFP, so the process has already started. However, um, everything, if there's a change, we can work with the change. So we, we're happy to collaborate um, and do what the council ultimately decides. Okay, so not issue the RFP now because we are going to be starting over the first reading in February. Okay. Yes. Right. I don't want to pull it because I think that seems bureaucratic. Right. But just just so we all understand. Okay, thank you all very much. And I appreciate that because I wasn't actually aware of that change. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that and work with you. I'll... Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Okay, uh, we'll go next to Councilmember Kaplan followed by Councilmember Humbert. Uh, thank you. Um, so I will also be submitting a supplemental on the same item. So Dr. Varkus, if I could speak with you um, as well, that would be great. Um, uh, I, I also wanted to highlight and thank the city manager and the various department heads for a number of the consent items, including item three, that's the James Kinney Park lease agreement with Bahia. Um, on item six, I wanted to thank the city manager for including the bid for policy research and market analysis of social housing models, um, as well as items 15, 16, and 17 for sewer repair and rehab throughout the city. Thank you. Council member Humbert. Yeah, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, I just have one, one question about item 18, and it sounds like it's going to be a wonderful thing, but I wonder if somebody could um, describe what its elements are. Uh, it sounds like it might be um, some, some protected crossings. Uh, this is the MLK Vision Zero Quick Bill project? Yes, yes. Um, is Mr. Garland here or staff from Public Works? Yes, Mayor and Council, I'm going to ask Free Javandel uh, to um, yes to weigh in. Thanks. Thank you. 
Right. So this is um, a number of different improvements, including hardened center lines, uh, highlighting the crosswalks, some uh, corner extensions and daylighting, pretty basic improvements. Um, and um, this is basically from Dwight to Russell along that uh, high injury corridor, making those improvements. Um, I don't know if we have Ian Bronswick, the, the project engineer on as well. He could probably speak much more specifically. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm happy to give you more detail, uh, a copy of the plans if you'd like. Um, yes, so I'd love that. I'd love that. Thank you. It, it, it'll it'll include some RRFBs, is that right? Correct. Thank you. That's all I have. Right. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I don't see any other members of the council to be recognized on the consent calendar. So we'll now take public comment on the consent calendar. If there's any attendee present here in the boardroom at 1231 Addison who would like to speak on the consent calendar, please come forward. Seeing none, is are there any attendees on Zoom who wish to testify on the consent calendar? So please raise your hand on the Zoom platform. Ilana Auerbach. We'll go to you first. You should now be able to speak. Great. Thank you. So I appreciate all your questions about a bunch of the other items. Nobody mentioned anything about item two, which is an additional $500,000 to Serological Research Institute for DNA testing for the Berkeley Police Department. I sent several emails to the whole council and to the mayor. I never heard back. I have questions. But here's my question. One of them is, what have we received in return from the one and a half million dollars that we've invested so far in Siri? How many cases were solved as a result of, of their testing? Since May 2022, which cases were sent to Siri that comprise the 500,000 that has been spent on their services? What is the process to determine which cases are sent to Siri? Another question, how much more does Siri cost than the other two options? Another question, how often were results expedited and, and the, the cost goes up dramatically the quicker we want the results? And then who provides the oversight of which cases get referred to Siri and what is the process followed? We know that there is management challenges and oversight within the Berkeley Police Department. There is a scandal that, that's being investigated by the Police Accountability Board and an independent investigator. Did you all ask these questions? Did you know the answers to these questions? Could you please share them with the public if you do know the questions? And if you don't, I, I request that you move this um, to, you know, off the, the calendar until you can make an informed decision. Because giving another half a million dollars, just it's, it's like the BPD asks for money and you just wave it through without any, any queries. This has got to stop. Enough is enough. You know, be true to having a backbone and some integrity about where you have said that you want to put where you want to put focus and 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 our city values. Thank, Thank you very much. We'll go next to Kelly Hammergren, followed by Russell Bates. Ms. Hammergren, you should now be able to speak. Um, thank you. In the bid solicitations, there's six million for diesel fuel, and I thought. The city was trying to get rid of our vehicles, our diesel vehicles. We're trying to go electric. And I just wondered um, on that three-year contract, how, um, where are we in, in doing our conversions? Um, 
to electric vehicles? And uh, is there any further explanation of what that $6 million uh, diesel contract is for? Thank you. Thank you. Our last speaker on the consent calendar is Russell Bates, and you should now be able to speak. Hi, I'll just make this quick. I support everything Ilana said. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Seeing no other speakers on the consent calendar, Councilor Kisawani. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I, I had a question about item 20, and I, um, I, I don't want to pull to action. I recognize I would need two others to do that anyway. But if it's possible, I'd like to ask Lieutenant Tate, who I see is on the call, can can I am um, on the the second part of this in terms of uh, basically uh, waiving the uh, recovery fee for a tow um, and creating this indigent payment plan? Are there administrative are there any sort of administrative burdens or are, are our systems set up to be able to do this? Or, or is that something that you could speak to? So absolutely for the um, vehicle release fees right now, the, the fee for that is $75 um, for the police department. And that is to recover staff time for the removal, uh, the impound storage and release of vehicles. Um, those things we we don't track necessarily who who is getting the vehicle release aside from we're releasing it to the registered owner. But currently we have no structure in place to track uh, first time offenders or uh, if someone has had their vehicle towed on more than one occasion. So for for something like that, uh, we just don't have the the data collection capability at this point. Um, and with the vehicle release, we, we actually just did a, a study of what other jurisdictions are collecting in our area. Uh, at, at the lowest, Canole PD is collecting $120, and at most, uh, Hayward PD is collecting $235. Uh, and these are the folks that are comparable as we go out to bid for the contract in the first place. Um, so what, what we have found is that the city of Berkeley is the lowest right now of, of the other agencies. Okay, thank you, Lieutenant Tate. So, so you know, I'm gonna um, just state, you know, my personal view is that as our city manager had said before the new year that we are in a staffing crisis, we're already understaffed. And I think we have to make hard choices about what it is we're going to be prioritizing. And I'm not against this concept. I think it's a very worthy concept, but I just, think that given the administrative barriers that you've described, given the fact that our fee is already the lowest in the region, I just don't feel, for me personally, that it's a responsible decision to refer, you know, upwards of 300,000 to add new staff for this at this time. I'm thinking about other priorities uh, that the Public Works Department has that they're not even able to fulfill at this time because of a lack of staffing. So uh, not to go on a long soapbox, but I just wanted to uh, record an abstention on item number 20 as a result. Thank you. Council Member Harrison. Um, yes, I had um, sent an email to uh, our acting police chief. I don't know if she's on the line or if you can answer this, um, Captain Tate, about the serological contract 
and um, the data about how we're utilizing that contract and the need for the um, change order, and in addition, uh, the source of funds. Do you have any more information about this contract? Because it is a pretty large amount of money. So I don't, I don't have any additional information aside from what was in the item and that um, it, it is our primary contract. Um, we have had uh, pretty severe delays with contracting with the Alameda County Crime Lab uh, in, our, in our other lab that had a huge backlog of DNA being, being processed. Um, so to that end, uh, I do understand that the, the funds are supposed to be taken from, um, I think it was the public safety. Uh, the Citizens Public Safety Fund, I think. Cops, yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, so this is basically just for us to continue to process DNA. Um, we only have, I think it's less than 20,000 left in the contract, uh, and it's going to severely hamstring us uh, if, if we're unable to re-up that contract. And am, I, am I recalling correctly, a few years ago, there was a crisis about doing tests on rape kits because of a lack yeah. of DNA testing capacity? Yes, yeah. So also, I just want to point out this is non-general fund. I mean, I think I'm probably the person that criticizes police spending more than anyone else on this, on this dais. But I, I just don't feel this is an area where we need to be cutting back. Um, and I'm, you know, thankful that we found an alternative to Alameda County. I would love for our county to step up and do it. I mean, the Alameda County Testing Lab, rather, and do a better job. But I don't think they're going to at this moment. So, thank you, Councilmember Robinson. Thank you, Mayor Ergin. Good evening. Uh, first, Lieutenant Tate, thank you for being on hand for questions tonight. And Councilmember Kesawani, thank you uh, for your comments. really want to extend my appreciation to everyone at the Health Committee for the robust conversation we were able to have around Item 20. And Councilmember Kesawani, you're absolutely right. We are in a dire staffing crisis. And really, that was part of the basis for the recommendation we offered for the two FTEs for associate management analysts to oversee the indigent payment plan. They're actually understaffed in this division already. So one would really be a matter of bringing that department into a proper staffing to oversee the program as it exists right now. Uh, but yes, if we want to look at expanding eligibility, I think expanding that staffing further would be really appropriate. But ultimately, that becomes a, a budget conversation. It's your point about the recommendation here about the uh, waivers and fee reductions for the toes. Yeah, there's a distinction here between two pieces. First, the referral to develop and return to council with a program to offer vehicle release fee waivers for low income and or homeless individuals. That mirrors the program that SFMTA has in place right now, and I hope that we follow it closely. The second piece about fee reductions or waivers for first time toes, we made sure to include language reading if feasible, because absolutely, as Lieutenant Tate noted, our rates are already among the lowest in the regions. We had looked at trying to adjust those across the board, but that really wouldn't be feasible. We're actually talking about potentially needing to increase those rates across the board. And I think an increase of those rates, if necessary, could totally coexist with creating a low-income or homeless individual's uh, fee reduction or waiver program. Uh, but that said, yeah, I hope that staff will consider that possibility. It would reach a little further than what SFMTA is doing, uh, but only if financially or operationally feasible. Thank you. Councilmember Hahn. Yes, thank you. Um, well, Councilmember Robinson obviously covered a lot of it, but um, I just wanted to second that. Uh, first of all, I thought I thought it was a quite 
quite good referral and I was uh, proud to be a co-sponsor. Um, but in addition, um, as chair of the Health, Life, Enrichment, Equity, and Community Committee, I uh, sort of managed the committee meetings where we discussed this. And we really had an in-depth and robust discussion about it. Um, and there were lots of opportunities for input. And the referral was actually significantly changed. And I think uh, what we have in front of us is very responsible and thoughtful. Um, it includes, uh, as Councilmember Robinson said, um, it, it fully understands the fact that we are understaffed and addresses that by making a referral to actually provide the staffing, not just for this added programming, but that would actually support existing program uh, programs that uh, the police department has to administer. But there's a lot in here about looking at how we could simplify. Look at simplification of payment plan administration, potentially allow all parking and towing related fines to be paid through payment plans, regardless of income qualification. The income qualification is one of the big, you know, administrative tasks is to make sure people are income qualified. You take that off, it's less work. Um, it's just a plan that people can opt into if they need or want to. So I think this is a very thoughtful, um, responsible uh, way of going about this. And I just want to um, make it very clear that the $383,000 is not being allocated. It's just being referred to the budget process. And, um, you know, a referral is aspirational. Um, I hope that this can be funded, but we're not funding anything by taking this action. I just wanted to clarify. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll close out by also addressing item 20 and say that um, um, this item would still enable the city of Berkeley to enforce other uh, parking regulations, such as the 72 hour rule um, and other regulations. Um, this is really just around parking citations. And I'll just say when I was elected to the city council um, and took office in uh, 2008, 2009, um, our undocumented community came to me around the issue of Berkeley police. Um, stopping and towing and impounding vehicles of people who are undocumented. We work with the police chief at the time to create a new policy to enable people who do not have a driver's license. Now, thankfully, the state of California passed a law to allow people, regardless of citizenship status, to have a driver's license. But um, we were able to make sure that those people can get their cars back immediately because these vehicles are really critical for people to be able to go to work, to take their kids to school, to go um, go about their daily life. and. We have to recognize that um, this could create a significant economic hardship for people in our city, um, so people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And for me, I think it's critical that we, while we do enforce our regulations, that we be fair and equitable in how we do it. And so I think this is really critical that we move this forward. I want to thank Councilman Robinson for his leadership. I think this is in keeping with our community's values and the work we started a year ago to reimagine public safety. There could be efficiencies. This would make our process even better. But I think let's not unfairly penalize people, let's not drive people into debt, have people lose their vehicles, have it impact their economic livelihood. Let's do the right thing. And I'm glad that we'll be approving item 20 today. So with that, I'll make a motion to approve the consent calendar as amended. And is there a second? Second. Second. Okay. Uh, roll call, please. Councilmember Kazarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. 
Wangroff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arguin? Yes. Thank okay, you. the consent calendar is approved. So we'll proceed to our last order of business, which is item 21. And I believe we have many members of the public here in the boardroom to speak on that item as well. This is an appeal of the Zoning Adjustments Board's decision on 2065 Kittridge Street Use Permit ZP 2021-0193. I'd like to summarize our procedure for the conduct of this hearing tonight. Uh, first, we'll ask members of the council to disclose any ex parte communications on the appeal and written ex parte disclosures were provided to the Office of City Clerk. I think copies of them are available for inspection um, if you go see the City Clerk. Um, but if you have not submitted your written disclosure, please disclose any ex parte um, communications. Then we'll proceed to the Planning Department to present on the appeal and their recommendation. Then we'll open the public hearing. The appellant will have five minutes to address the City Council on their appeal. We will then afford the applicant five minutes to address the Council on the appeal and then open the public hearing portion for any members of the public that wish to testify on the appeal, after which time the council will um, deliberate and take action. So with that, I'd like to first go, go first on ex parte disclosures. Um, I did have a meeting with Bill Schrader, the applicant, um, and Patrick Kennedy about a different matter, the hard hats ordinance, but at which time Mr. Schrader did allude to his project um, and um, talked about sort of the, the impacts of these regulations on his project. I also met with um, the uh, representative of the appellant today, um, Vince Segru, um, to discuss the appeal as well as uh, the attorneys representing the appellant to answer questions about their, their requested conditions. And so those are my disclosures. Um, we'll go next to Councilor Taplin. Uh, thank you. Um, I spoke with the appellant and I spoke with the applicant, but on a different issue, that being the Hurricane's ordinance. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Harrison. Uh, yes, I filed my ex partes. I have spoken with the appellant and their counsel. Are there any other members of the council that need to disclose any ex parte communications on this matter? Council Robinson, no? No ex parte. Are there any other council members? Seeing no raised hands, um, we'll now proceed to the presentation from the planning department. I'd like to turn the floor over to Jordan Klein, Director of Planning and Development. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Good evening, council members. Pre presenting for this uh, planning department this evening will be Sharon Gong. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, let me share my screen. Um, and let me. All right. Um, good evening, council members. This is a hearing for the appeal of the ZAB decision to approve use permit ZP 2021-0193 for the project at 2065 Kittredge Street. The project site is in the CDMU downtown mixed-use district core sub-area in the downtown area plan with a city block bounded within a city block bounded by Alston Way to the north, Shattuck Avenue to the east, Kittredge Street to the south, and Harold Way to the west. Commercial land uses and a public parking structure are located to the north across Alston. Commercial uses are located along Shattuck to the east. South of the site on Shattuck across Kittredge is the Berkeley Central Library a city and national historic landmark. 
And west of the site, across Herald, are the Dharma College and the Mangalam Center, also city landmarks. The project site, shown in blue here, is a commercial condominium unit in a subdivision, which was created in December of 2020. Entitlements were previously obtained for the project site with similar boundaries under the address 2211 Herald Way in 2015 to demolish portions of the existing landmark building and construct an 18-story, 302-unit mixed-use building with approximately 11,000 square feet of commercial space, a 10-theater cinema complex, and 177 underground parking spaces. Building permits were never issued for that project, and the city deemed permits expired in January of 2020. In the fall of 2022, the Landmarks Preservation Commission and Zoning Adjustments Board approved permits to demolish areas of the existing buildings outlined in red here, which include a portion of the 1913 expansion of the city landmark Shattuck Hotel and the 1926 and 1959 Hinks Department Store expansions. In September 2022, the ZAB approved permits and adopted an EIR addendum to construct a mixed-use building with eight stories, 183 dwelling units, including nine very low-income units, four live-work units, approximately 5,000 square feet of ground floor commercial space, approximately 12,000 square feet of usable open space, and 43 car parking spaces in the ground-level garage. On October 25th, 2022, the city clerk received an appeal letter for the decision from Adams, Broadwell, Joseph, and Cardozo on behalf of the East Bay residents for a responsible development. In the main point of the appeal letter, the appellants assert that the project was approved by ZAB without meeting the non-detriment finding in the Berkeley Municipal Code, and that the project is detrimental to the wel general welfare of the city, its residents, and its workers in violation of the zoning code. Specifically, they contend that the project applicant has made no commitment to build using a local skilled and trained workforce to provide apprenticeship training opportunities for local residents or to provide health care for its construction workforce. The project previously approved on the site, the 2211 Herald Way Mixed Use Project, was approved with a community benefits package that included a labor agreement, along with other benefits. The appellants believe that the project is therefore consistent, inconsistent, sorry, with inconsistent with city policies and goals, which seek to ensure an adequate supply of decent housing and living wage jobs. The appellants also believe that the ZAB approval is inconsistent with the city's draft hard hats ordinance, which, if enacted, would implement apprenticeship programs and health care for workers in the general plan area projects. Staff notes that although, although the Berkeley Municipal Code requires findings of general non-detriment for approval of discretionary projects, and the general plan and downtown area plan goals and policies broadly guide development in the downtown zoning district, municipal code non-detriment findings and general plan and area plan goals and policies are not objective standards. They cannot provide a basis for the denial of or reduction in density for a housing project due to the protections provided 
by the State Housing Accountability Act. Pursuant to this act, the city cannot deny or reduce the density of a housing development that is compliant with objective standards unless it can meet the strict finding of specific adverse impact on public health or safety that is significant, quantifiable, direct, and unavoidable, and that cannot feasibly cannot be feasibly mitigated without rendering the project unaffordable to lower and moderate income households. This is a level of impact which the State Department of Housing and Community Development considers to be rare. Further, the project is not required to provide a labor agreement for its construction workforce to commit to using a local skilled and trained worker to, local, to using local skilled and trained workers or to provide apprenticeship training or healthcare because the density bonus base project does not exceed the 75 foot height threshold. It is therefore not subject to the CDM new zoning district requirement for a community benefits package that would include a project labor agreement. Upon a full review of that project, the ZAB found the project was compliant with all objective planning standards, that the findings for, for a specific adverse impact on public health or safety under the state laws could not be made and approved the project. As for the hard hats ordinance, the draft ordinance is still under consideration by council and is not yet city policy. The project applicant had submitted a preliminary application pursuant to Senate Bill 330 to vest in policies, standards, and fees in effect on July 26, 2021, for the pendency of the project approval. Therefore, hats, hard hats provisions do not apply to the project. And that concludes staff's presentation. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. So we'll now open the public hearing on the ZAP appeal for 2065 Kittridge Street. And uh, who will be representing the appellant tonight? Um, Kalila Fetterman. Um, okay, I'll promote you to panelist. Give me one second. And uh, good evening. As I summarized, our, we are going to afford the appellant five minutes to discuss the grounds of the appeal. Um, and so um, I'll turn it over to you. And if you have a presentation, you should be able to share screen as well. Um, I don't have a presentation to share a screen. I'll just be speaking on this on okay. this appeal. Thank you. Um, good evening, Mr. Mayor and honorable, honorable council members. My name is Kalila Fetterman on behalf of Appellants East Bay Residents for Responsible Development. Individual members of East Bay Residents live, work, and raise their families in the city of Berkeley and Alameda County. They would be directly affected by the project and its detrimental impacts, including its failure to provide opportunities to improve local recruitment for the construction workforce, failure to provide apprenticeship training for all trades, lack of retention of skilled workforces, and failure to provide healthcare benefits for its construction workforce. East Bay residents filed this appeal of the Zoning Adjustments Board's approval of the 2065 Kittredge Street project because the project fails to comply with the city's general plan, municipal code, and zoning code. The appeal explains that the project would be inconsistent with workforce and economic policies of the general plan, and as a result would be detrimental to the general welfare of the city, its residents, its workers, by failing to provide workforce standards, apprenticeship training for all trades, and healthcare for construction workers on the project. We submitted comments this afternoon which detail the project's inconsistencies with the workforce and economic policies in the general plan. 
We're asking the council to uphold this appeal by modifying the project to add four conditions of approval to the project, which implement the policies of the general plan by requiring the applicant to document the feasibility of utilizing apprentices for the majority of the trades, a local workforce, and providing health care for the project's construction workers. The general plan provides that housing projects in Berkeley must promote employment for local residents at a living wage. This is a major Berkeley housing development in the downtown area, which fails to meet the standards for its construction workforce and fails to implement the general plan's other workforce and economic policies. The city council has authority to impose conditions of approval on the project to ensure consistency with the general plan's economic and workforce policies and to comply with SB 330's requirement that housing projects be consistent with the general plan. The council has broad authority under the Berkeley Municipal Code to reverse, affirm, or modify the ZAB's decision if the project is detrimental to the health, safety, peace, morals, comfort, or general welfare of the city. A detriment to the general welfare and its residents occurs when the city fails to mitigate the impacts of a development project, including failing to implement critical general plan policies intended to promote the general welfare. Without modification, the ZAB's approval of the project may result in a detriment to the general welfare and fail to implement general plan policies. As explained in our appeal, the project does not include any apprenticeship opportunities for the majority of the trades, nor does it require local hire or healthcare benefits for project construction and is inconsistent with the general plan and municipal code on that basis. Modifying the ZAB's decision to, is critical to ensure compliance with the general plan's objective workforce and economic policies and the municipal code. Uh, we addressed four conditions of approval in today's appeal letter. The first condition would require the applicant to evaluate the feasibility of implementing a workforce program for construction of the project, including participating in an approved apprenticeship program. This would implement general plan policy ED1 and ED5 by encouraging job training and placement for local construction workforce. The second condition requires the applicant to analyze the feasibility of implementing a construction workforce healthcare expenditure program for the project and reporting requirements thereto. This condition would implement general plan economic objectives to increase social and economic equity in land use decisions and policy ED12 by developing economic and demographic information pertaining to park project construction. The third condition asks the applicant to consider a goal of having 30% local construction workers. This condition um, implements general plan goals of having a living wage for local residents and local jobs. The fourth condition would require the applicant to provide an affidavit disclosing the number of local workers and union workers used for project construction. If adopted, these conditions of approval would significantly increase the project's compliance with the general plan and implement the city's and, and are within the city's authority to implement general plan policies to effectuate the plan's purpose. The city council has authority under state law to require compliance with general plan and has authority under the municipal code to modify and add conditions of approval to the ZAB's decision to ensure that the project will not result in a detriment to the city and its residents. East Bay residents respectfully requests that the city council uphold this appeal and modify the ZAB's approval to include the conditions of approval as detailed in our letter and in today's presentation. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. There may be questions after the public hearing. Um, so we'll hold the public hearing open at the conclusion of the testimony. So now I'd like to give the applicant or the applicant's representative uh, time to present uh, for five minutes on their application.
Thank you, Sharon. One can, you, can you hear me? Yes. There we go. Uh, thanks to Sharon for her uh, presentation and good evening, Mayor Aragine and the City Council. Again, my name is Bill Schrader and I own an East Bay development company called the Austin Group. I'm also here tonight representing my co-development partners in Berkeley CA Ventures. I only plan on spending a minute or two to outline the 18 month process that we went through to get this project in front of you tonight. And I will then turn over the podium to our land use attorney, Todd Williams of Fenimore Wendell to discuss the legal aspects of this appeal. First, thank you to the entire planning staff and their thorough report rejecting this appeal in support of our project. Second, given the controversial process of the previous application for this site, we committed early on to staff and our neighbors, the owners of the Shattuck Plaza Hotel and the folks from Dharma College, that we would stay inside the sandbox on this application, and we did that. Third, our collaborative process culminated with our eight-story, 187-unit project in front of you this evening. Along the way, Recording in progress. No personal or subjective judgment by public officials. The healthcare, apprenticeship, local hire demands do not appear in any city regulations and cannot be applied as a condition of approval for reasons that I'll get to. The city, the general plan policies cited by the appellant are not objective, as the staff uh, report stated. They state broad policy goals, not objective benchmarks. And it's important to understand here that a project need not implement all policies, as the appellant just uh, argued, it need only be compatible with those in order to be consistent. And no other housing project approved in this city, uh, private housing project, has been subject to what's being proposed tonight. Second, uh, next slide. The city did not identify any applicable standards or policies that this project was not in that was not consistent with within 60 days of the application being determined to be complete in June 2022. As such, it is deemed consistent. Third, next slide. Uh, the city may not apply any new standards or requirements on the project by virtue of the applicant filing, having filed the preliminary application on July 26, 2021. That's pursuant to the uh, Housing Crisis Act, also known as SB 330 and the HAA, and it's contained in Government Code 65589.5, subsection 01. 
The appeals proposed conditions were not in place at the time the preliminary application was filed. Imposing them would violate this the project's vested rights in that section of the HAA. The appeals proposed conditions are not in place right now. The hard hats ordinance is not before the council tonight, and this is not the proper subject of this proceeding. The council should not make a premature decision, but make policy in accordance with proper legislative procedures, not on a case by case basis, and especially not in, in such a rushed fashion. Uh, and, and as the staff pointed out, the project does not rely on the same code provisions as the previously approved Herald Way project. And so none of those uh, standards apply and are relevant to this project. Um, I will point out that violations of the HAA, including violations of subject section O, would expose the city to liability, potential attorney's fees, and potential fines. Uh, Finally, the city may not uh, deny a project that complies with objective standards, except in very narrow circumstances, not uh, applicable here. And imposing the conditions proposed by the appeal would be a constraint on housing. I'll just finish up very briefly. Uh, on a site identified as an opportunity site, it would need to be reported to HCD in connection with the city's housing element as a restraint on housing projects. So we would ask that you, uh, deny the appeal that you uphold the ZAB's approval of the project. And we would also like the opportunity uh, to add some rebuttal uh, at the end of public hearing. There is no rebuttal per our procedure in our rules of procedure, um, but there may be questions from members of the council to any of the parties. Um, and thank you very much for your presentation. Thank you. And we received your letter also. Okay, I'd like to now open the public hearing portion of the appeal hearing. Um, and um, I would like to afford Speakers, two minutes, unless there's any objection from the council. Um, and we'll go first to the, the um, members of the public here in the boardroom at 1231 Addison. And, sir, if you'd like to please start public comment, please come forward. I've passed out some pictures. I also emailed them to other council members that aren't here. Um, also, uh, personal audience is going to seat my time, Alex Osborne. Okay. Okay. Oh. Good evening, Mayor, Council Members. I'm Adam Masters, a business representative for Sheet Metal Workers Local 104. And tonight I'm here for a few hundred Berkeley families and nearby residents who support East Bay residents for responsible development. These families make their living as electricians, plumbers, sheet metal workers, and sprinkler fitters. Last week, we visited a, we visited a work site of seven large residential projects in Berkeley. And what we observed more than justifies you voting to support our appeal. We saw a lot of lost opportunity for young workers since a few of the contractors on these projects used enrolled state California approved training programs. This is the result of a great majority of the work hours being performed by non-union contractors. We saw outrageous safety violations as shown by the pictures I shared with you. While you look through the photos, you'll notice that blatant OSHA violations, garbage, materials, obstructing pathways, workers on the fifth floor of scaffolding using railings down, not tied off, we spoke with an elevator mechanic who was the only union craft on the project, and she mentioned that in her 29 years in the trade is the most un unsafe job site she's ever been on. And that job site of those pictures was 2020, 2023 Calabagai, the project that was on. We observed, an, um, we observed an electrical contractor who had a suspended license performing work on a project. Don't worry, we reported these violations to the city, and we're proud that the city's looking into them. However, I'm here to stand up for the workers in these future projects because we need to do something to change this. 
and very few of the contractors working on residential projects in Berkeley pay area standard wages. The average wage for residential construction is about 60% of the area median income. For workers of color, it's much less. Many more residential projects are going to be built in Berkeley with a few of thousand workers needed to build them. It is time to stop exploiting these, the workforce and create greater opportunity and good for middle-class jobs. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. Um, okay. Next speaker, please. Thank you so much, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Vince Segrew, and I'm representing Sheet Metal Workers Local 104. I'd like to ask fellow sheet metal workers who came out that are Berkeley residents to please stand in the room, and I want to thank them for their time. I am here tonight because the system has failed construction workers. We have gone through four meetings, and in every meeting, folks listen to our comments, and they say, thank you, we support you in spirit, but I'm sorry, this is about design review. Sorry, this is about landmarks. Sorry, this is about a zoning, right? When we're here tonight, I was wrong. I was expecting the developer to come up and actually talk about construction workers and the good things they were going to do for construction workers on this project. Instead, they didn't mention the construction workers one time in their rebuttal. And in fact, when my coworker was speaking about the job sites we walked, they were all shaking their heads at them. This is the lack of respect that we get in this city on these residential projects. And I am passionate as heck about it because there are plenty of unrepresented, exploited workers. What we've done in Berkeley is create a vision, both with the hard hats ordinance that's being worked on right now, and we appreciate council. What's in front of you tonight is a series of modest conditions. These are modest reporting requirements that we're asking for. We're not asking for everything. We know the hard hats ordinance isn't implemented yet. But what we're asking for is for some level of accountability because our voices time and time again aren't heard. And you're being forced in a situation due to SB 330 to have to deal with this tonight. And this is the last meeting. You can see now we're, we're now we're in front of city council and this is our only opportunity. And you're being forced in a tough position. I'm sorry the system has made it tough for you. And I'm sorry that it's tough for us. But, you know, it's not tough for these developers. And I appreciate the fact if we can hold them accountable. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Keith Brown, and I'm here representing the Alameda Labor Council. Construction is one of the highest growth industries with the potential to produce good jobs for working class Alameda County residents. If both the public and private sectors make the choice to invest in local workforces. However, a critical driver of greater economic inequality in our region is the massive infusion of development capital and the high expectation investors have on the return on their investments. Construction has become a bifurcated industry split into two business models. High road model, which companies compete on productivity, efficiency, timeliness, and quality of work. And a low road model in which companies compete primarily for paying their workforce as little as possible. Thousands of low wage workers are now building homes. None can afford to live in those homes. This disparity tends to impact 
workers of color the hardest, especially in the non-union residential sector, which makes the majority of construction hours. Among construction workers, Latino workers are paid on average 38% less than white workers. Asian workers are paid 52% less. African-American workers are paid 38% less. That is why I'm here supporting this appeal. We must bring an end to developers taking advantage of our housing crisis and enriching their investors while they exacerbate inequality in our communities. It will take good public policy such as the hard hat ordinance you are considering if we're going to stop the exploitation of our workforce. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening, Mayor Erigwin and um, council members on the screen and present here. My name is Andreas Kluver, Secretary Treasurer of the Alameda County Building Trades Council. And we strongly urge you here to support the appeal and adopt the modifications to the zoning board decision. But I first want to say a big thank you and a thank you uh, to this body over the many years I have been working with, with this body. I believe there is no better friend to the building trades than the city council and the city of Berkeley. Uh, you passed the first ever project labor agreement for the city. You passed uh, conditions on downtown development to include labor standards. Uh, and we're working now on the hard hats ordinance. Um, we believe that these are the values of the city council to ensure that we are paying our men and women working on this project a sustainable wage, that those folks on there are working in a safe environment and that they have career opportunities and that they have health care. Those are the values of the city council. It's a bit ironic, to, as the staff report indicated, that the previous project on Herald Way had met all those conditions with community benefits and with the project labor agreements. Unfortunately, that project was unable to move forward. And this new development has now looked at the various loopholes it has in terms of the height requirements and state legislation to avoid uh, those very uh, values that this city and this city council has. And that is unacceptable. And we're really excited uh, in the ability of this body to close that loophole through the hard hats ordinance. And unfortunately, it does not apply to this project. It should apply to this project. But we strongly urge moving forward to avoid these types of developments with these type of unscrupulous developers and contractors that don't care about the men and women working on the project and for them to be held accountable uh, to those workers and the residents of Berkeley to have proper uh, projects with the labor standards that ensure proper development. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Kluver. Good evening, Mayor and Council. My name is John Dalrymple. I work with the East Bay Residents for Responsible Development. I mean, first of all, let me say, you know, how typical. Um, you're hearing this a lot these days. Developers threatening to sue cities because they want to do the right thing uh, by their citizens and, uh, and particularly by exploited workers. We're seeing this all over the Bay Area where false claims of your potential uh, to be in legal jeopardy are made in, as a way to intimidate you and not address and not having a, have the ability to address real concerns uh, of the construction workforce in your residence. Um, we, the East Bay Residents Responsible Development are asking you to, uh, to um, add these conditions of approval 
because if you don't, it will cause significant detrimental effect to your to the community. You've heard uh, about the low road construction model. We know this is going to be applied here. I've had conversations with the consultant of the uh, of the developer. He made it clear to me, you know, how they intend to bid this project. The same kind of practice of all the other projects that we visited last week. That's that where we had unsafe health conditions, no apprentices, um, low wage workers. These are the conditions your workforce that's building a new Berkeley. And frankly, it's something that we should all carry a little bit of shame that we haven't addressed it to this point. You know, we have not addressed it to this point. This invisible, largely immigrant exploited workforce. Now I've handed you a, uh, a couple of documents. So what we're asking these conditions of uh, uh, conditions are not unusual. Uh, one is an app, one I gave you is an affidavit from the first source uh, program in San Francisco. It's been in, in, in place for several years. Um, every developer of over 25 housing units has to fill it out. They say what their projected workforce is going to be. Is it going to be apprentices on the job? Um, and how many? Uh, so the other thing I gave you is actually a developer proposed this. So there's language in the new part in the uh, in Newark on the New Park Mall Pacific plan. Oh, I, I forgot I had. Uh, uh, I forgot to say that. Um, and the developers proposed that each of the contractors submit similar information that we are asking for um, uh, in this condition of approval uh, and able to show that they are meeting the uh, the expectations of that specific plan for the $1 billion project of the New Park Mall, which will be built over the next 15 years. So what we're asking for is non-burdensome. Um, it is what we're asking for would not trigger, put you at any jeopardy, because we're not, you're not going to stop the project by asking this. We believe that this kind of residential uh, uh, housing is necessary, particularly student housing, and we support that. But we can no longer support, or we can no longer live with, and I think the city has had enough of the kind of exploitation that's happened to create the housing, which should not be a choice. Housing is exploitation of, exploitation of workers. So we do hope that you uh, support our request for conditions on the project. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other attendees here at 1231 Addison who would like to testify as part of the public hearing? If so, please come forward to the podium. Last call for any in-person speakers. Okay, with that, we'll proceed to the speakers on Zoom. If you're participating on Zoom and would like to testify as part of the public hearing on the ZAB appeal for 2065 Kittredge Street, please raise your hand at this time. Um, we'll go to the first raise hand, Marty Lynch, and you should now be able to speak. Sorry, I hit the button. Uh, thank you, Mayor and Council. Uh, appreciate it. I've uh, lived in Berkeley and spent a good part of my career working with many of you, trying to make sure that people in Berkeley have access to decent health care. Uh, so I was interested in this appeal uh, for the reason of the health care issue. Uh, I would congratulate the council on all the work on developing housing. We obviously need it. And together, we're going to hopefully work on more housing for workforce, health care workers, elder care workers, uh, teachers, that sort of thing. But appreciate all the efforts to get there. Uh, this is interesting to me because we know that people who don't have health insurance typically put off care uh, for chronic problems and acute problems for a longer period of time and more often end up in the emergency room 
to receive that care. By the time they get it, it's more expensive and it's often not as uh, efficacious as it might have been if they'd gotten the care early in the process. So it's concerning to, to think that we might be creating at least part of a workforce here that would not have health coverage as part of their employment. And I know that you may or may, you may not have the leverage you need to require health care coverage, but certainly I would urge if you have any leverage to encourage that health coverage, that's a really good thing. If you can't do that, we certainly want to know the extent of the problem. In other words, how many employees are we bringing on that don't have health coverage and how can we plan to take care of their needs? Uh, appreciate that you're dealing with this hard hat ordinance in the future, but for now, we want to get people decent health care coverage and good health care. Thank you. Thank you, Mario. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, okay, thanks. We'll go next to Allison, followed by Russell Bates. Allison, you should now be able to speak. Yes, thank you. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, yes, I, uh, well, I am, my name is Allison Doniger. I'm a Berkeley resident, third generation Berkeley resident, and I am a union plumber out of uh, UA342 Plumbers and Pipefitters of Alameda County. And I just wanted to get on here. And I mean, most of, I think most of what I would have said has already been said, but I just wanted to sort of um, stress the point about depriving this city of you know, possible apprenticeship positions. I just finished my apprenticeship. It was five years long. Um, and it, 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 it really allowed me to live in the city of Berkeley. It's a middle-class job. You can make a good living being an apprentice and then turning out into a journeyman tradesperson. I wouldn't want people in the city of Berkeley to be deprived of that, um, that avenue. I mean, it's a really great route for kids who, you know, maybe aren't going to go to college or who go to college, but then, you know, aren't really sure what they're going to do. Um, it's an amazing opportunity and it's an amazing opportunity for the city of Berkeley to really invest in building a you know population of local workers who can also live here so um oh and I just wanted to point out that uh the um apprenticeships the the apprentices who are entering the apprenticeships a growing proportion of them are women and minorities so just wanted to point that out and um yeah, I think that does it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go to our next speaker on Zoom, Russell Bates, followed by former Mayor Shirley Dean. Russell Bates, you should now be able to speak. All right. Thank you very much. Um, old Berkeley values say you support the workers, uh, that the capitalists and the workers have absolutely nothing in common with one another. Uh, the lack of regard for workers no health care, no apprentices, this, that, and the other. How dare they attempt that? And how dare you allow them to attempt that? It's so amazing to me that the villain in the background is obviously chocolate and glee, which is the UC Board of Regents and UC administration. Rather than building on their land, they'll build on our land. And they'll build using projects that screw workers, like this project 
is screwing workers. Too many buildings going up everywhere. Too many rules being fudged to allow that to happen and workers get screwed in the meantime. Um, please make some rules that make workers' safety as relevant as making money for the capitalists. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll go to our next speaker on Zoom, former Mayor Shirley Dean. And you should not be able to speak. Thank you. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. I support this appeal. Supporting benefits for construction workers is the right thing to do. But I'm also concerned about the, because it isn't clear what's happening to the Shattuck Cinemas here. Staff claims this project is compatible with the downtown plan goals, specifically saying it will help make the downtown a more attractive regional destination. Wrong. This project seems to demolish or close, at least partially demolish or close the Shattuck Cinemas, a 10 screen cluster of stunningly beautiful landmark architectural art found nowhere else. They were always an essential part of the arts district, which will be diminished by their loss. They made the arts district a destination for all incomes. And the people came bringing millions of dollars spent downtown and positive national acclaim to our city. Today, the one thing you've got going for the downtown is the arts district. And while other cities bemoan dead downtowns, don't let that happen here. But you can have it all. Support the appeal. Reject this, uh, reject this use permit. Then refer the, pro, uh, the uh, project back to staff and work on the uh, modifying the conditions to what has been asked of you by construction workers so that they are adequately taken care of. And uh, clearly, clearly uh, ensure that the Shattuck cinemas, cinemas are preserved. You can have it all. You do not have to settle for less. Thank you very much. Thank you. Are there any other speakers on Zoom who wish to speak as part of the public hearing on the ZAB appeal for 2065 Kittridge Street? If so, please raise your hand at this time. I see we have one additional raised hand. This will be the last call for public comment. Okay, we'll go next to Kelly Hammergren. Hi, can you hear me okay? I'm on my iPad. Yes. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to follow up on everything that we have heard already. Uh, it's just really startling to hear the workers and how they are, are not protected in their working conditions. And that certainly is a blot both on uh, the developer and the city if the appeal is uh, rejected. So I wanted to make that comment. Uh, I really support all that, all that they have said. I recently read about the best places to live uh, in the paper and Berkeley was listed, was in that list because of all of its movie theaters. 
than the film here in Berkeley. But obviously the person who wrote that uh, wasn't up to date on what's happening because um, we are now destroying every theater in the city except the Elmwood. Uh, everything else will be, will be gone. It will all be developed. And uh, that will that will have a an impact on this city. And so I, I just really wanted to leave those thoughts with you. And um, it's so important that we actually uh, stand up for our values. And that's um, what I feel is missing here. I spent a lot of time reading the downtown plan years ago. And um, what I'm hearing tonight doesn't match that. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Are there any other members of the public that wish to speak on this appeal? Once again, this is the last call for public comment. Raise your hand now. Okay, caller with the numbering 060, please unmute yourself, press star six to speak. I want to add to Kelly Hammergren's comment about the demise of the theaters and the previous commenters also referring to that. Um, with all the large development going up, has we have been eliminating the theaters, which is a affordable means of entertainment, we eliminate social interaction so that people will only be streaming uh, unless they want to go to the Elmwood or to Albany. Um, I mean, theaters are a tremendous way for people to socially interact with other people that they meet in the theaters and just talk informally as, as they're leaving about movies. It's, uh, and we're having so much of the large buildings, but we, we're eliminating this. Um, and again, the, uh, these theaters are something that is far more affordable for most people than going to a play. Um, or other entertainment. Uh, and if we eliminate the uh, affordable places to eat, we're only encouraging people to have uh, DoorDash and caviar delivered to them. And so again, we decrease social contact and we uh, create a community that is more isolated. Thank you. Thank you. I don't see any additional attendees with their hands raised to testify on the ZAB appeal. So unless there's any further speakers, not, we will um, proceed to council discussion. I'd like to first ask, are there any, before we close the public hearing, are there any questions for any of the parties, either the appellant or the um, applicant? Uh, Councilor Taplin, do you have a question for the parties? Uh, yeah, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I have a question for the um, applicant. Uh, Mr. Schrader or whoever you, um, is it a legal question or a project question? Uh, it's a, it's a project process question. Okay. I, I believe. Uh, Mr. Schrader, the, um, applicant is here at the podium. So go ahead. Thank you. Uh, good evening. Um, Mr. Schrader, can you describe, uh, outreach efforts to, uh, the construction workers as part of the process for the project? Yeah, I've, I actually had multiple conversations with John Dalrymple. Okay. 
Thank you. And of course, many conversations with our general contractor, uh, West Builders, who is has been the largest contractor here in town. They've built about half of the buildings and they have another six or seven under construction. And their president is here tonight. If anybody has any direct questions about the lack of health care, which we don't believe is true, compensation, which we also don't believe is true. And uh, Ricardo Zamorano would be happy to come up and answer any questions regarding what it really takes to build uh, a project here in town. Uh, I think this is my seventh, I believe this is my seventh project I've brought through the entitlement process here. And I think I've built five, maybe I've got two more under construction. Um, we believe strongly in an open shop concept. Um, and that is what West Builders does. Um, they, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60% of all these projects end up being union, regardless of whether a PLA is signed or not. Um, <clears throat> and construction workers are offered health care. I'm not an expert in this. Keep in mind, the developer hires a general contractor who hires the subcontractors who hire the workers. So I am not an expert in health care directly. I'm not an expert in what it takes to hire individual employees and what their compensation is, but Ricardo certainly is. So um, he's here tonight. If anybody would like to ask any detailed questions about construction, health care, et cetera, he would be happy to come up and answer those. Um, I actually have two more outreach questions. Um, can you describe your outreach to um, the mechanical crafts in particular? Other than conversations directly with John Dalrymple, who represents the mechanical crafts, I haven't talked to anybody else directly. Now, I have uh, councilmen um, signed a PLA agreement with these same unions that are here tonight on a different project, not here in Berkeley. So I know John fairly well, um, and they're actually going to be doing some work for me on another project sometime later this year. Um, so thank you. Uh, so I understand this is the fifth meeting. Um, on the project, um, had there been efforts to incorporate some of the concerns we've been hearing tonight um, at any of the prior meetings, either at ZAB, between ZAB and Design Review or, or so on? I, I believe, and I could be corrected, that the only time we heard from, um, from John and his group was at ZAB not a design review, and I don't believe it, any of our hearings that we had uh, with landmarks. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mr. Chair, I have a question. Um, um, good evening. Um, I'm assuming you and your representatives have had an opportunity to see the conditions that were provided in the letter received today from the appellant's attorney. Yeah, those were sent at three o'clock. Okay. So we really didn't have a chance to review them. Todd looked at them in his car on his way here. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at this now and um, it's asking, you know, uh, one section prior to the commencement of construction, the applicant shall report um, on, um, well, first the applicant shall evaluate the feasibility of implementing these workforce programs, it's not a requirement since you are evaluating the feasibility. And prior to the commencement of construction, the applicant shall report to the city manager on steps taken to comply with this condition 
including the feasibility evaluation. That's with respect to the apprenticeship standards. Number two, a similar evaluation on the feasibility for the healthcare expenditures. It sounds like you had stated that your contractor provides healthcare. So that presumably should not be difficult to provide that information to the city. Um, it's not a requirement. It's just providing information for the city and the public to evaluate. Um, and similarly with other these other conditions, they seem to not request that we impose these requirements, but rather that information be provided to the city to evaluate. Um, given that, I, I guess I'd like to ask, um, would you be open to voluntarily agreeing to these conditions? They're not mandating that you have to do these things. It's just providing information. Um, and if if not, what it, what would what is your objection to adding these conditions? I mean, we haven't reviewed them. Okay, um, it would have been nice if they gave them to us. I mean, we've been we've been delayed since October. We got them today as well. Yeah, so we, I haven't I haven't read them. I haven't seen them. So if I may suggest, um, while we're discussing the the matter, if you might be willing to take a look sure. at those conditions. I, they're not imposing these requirements, but it's requiring reporting, which I think in the interest of transparency is beneficial. Um, uh, that if you could just take a look and we can come back and you can yeah. let us know. Tommy Sennett from CA Ventures is here. So he and I and Todd and Ricardo can sit down and look at them. Okay. Um, but I certainly can't give you an answer Understood. as I'm standing here at the podium. Understood. Yeah. Once again, it's about reporting. It's not about imposing specific work, workplace standards. If, if that's what it says, we'd be happy to look at it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, so, yes, Councilmember Harrison, you had a question. Yes, um, I have a question for the um, applicant and for the appellant as well, Mr. Schrader. Uh, maybe I'll go to the the um, appellant first, give him the chance to confer with this council on the question you just asked. Um, uh, I'm sorry, is the appellant here? Uh, yes. Yes, yes Kalila Fetterman. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can you describe your communications with the applicant? on um, the issue of use of uh, unionized workforce, provision of health benefits, and uh, the use of apprentices? Um, I am going to defer to John Dalmreipel, who is physically present at the, at the meeting, who had those communications. Great. I'd love to hear from him on that. Oh, let's see, Vince Segrus. No worries. I'll speak oh. on behalf of John. He, okay. he had to run home for a family emergency. Uh, John reached out on behalf of the mechanical crafts, and we attempted to have several conversations. I think due to the SB 330 nature of this, uh, the developer wasn't necessarily inclined. Obviously, they you know we're grateful they've done an agreement with us in another jurisdiction, but um, there's there what was their incentive necessarily? So that's where we kind of left things. Okay, Mr. Seguru. So you did not have a. Can you come back? Sorry, you did. You were not offered an opportunity for a sit-down meeting with the with the applicant. No, we we attempted to have productive meetings, but there's. I mean, there was no such meeting of productivity. Okay, and um, I think Mr. Schrader mentioned that forty percent or so of the people on this job site will be unionized. Does that include electricians? That does not include electricians. Does it include sheet metal workers? It does not include sheet metal workers. Are there specialized trades? Um, it, so um, it 
would likely include elevator constructors who have uh, 100% of the market and all of the certifications that are unionized. It would likely include operating engineers, but it would not include many of the mechanical crafts who actively recruit from Rising Sun Center for Opportunity, and we would lose out on those apprenticeship opportunities to do so on this project. Can you list those mechanical trades for us? Because I'm never sure. clear which are which. That's sheet metal, that's IBW, it's UA342, the plumbers and pipe fitters, and the sprinkler fitters. And then um, uh, I'm going to go back to your attorney. I believe Ms. Um, Fetterman is your attorney. Is that right? Correct. Is that right? Okay. Ms. Fetterman, I had another question for you. I just want to understand your appeal a little bit better. Um, as I understood your appeal, what you're saying is that the um, general plan provides for labor conditions as a, as a um, concept of something that the city has committed to following and that that is something that we need to fulfill in addition to fulfilling the requirements of SB 330. Is that correct? Right. So these conditions are, are supported by the general plan goals and policies. Um, and so um, they're in alignment with, with uh Approving the project under SB 330, which requires compliance with the general plan, requires compliance with um, municipal code and zoning in order to approve the project. So these conditions would would help bring the project in line um, in order to approve the project under SB 330 and, and the Housing Accountability Act. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, and then, Mr. Segru, I did have one other question for you. Um, can you describe the health and safety impacts on your workers when there are not these um, conditions in place? I mean, definitely. I mean, I think what we see in the construction industry that's really typical is construction workers uh, oftentimes have to go in 50-50 with their contractor on their healthcare plan. The, uh, typically, their subpar plans that don't cover their uh, dependents or spouses um, if they have healthcare. Oftentimes, it's it's well known in the construction industry and the non-union construction industry that uh, construction workers often use the county for their healthcare system. That is something that we see when we're when we're organizing workers and we talk to them, and that's one of the appeals of becoming a unionized construction worker with representation. All of our workers that are unionized have healthcare for themselves, their families, um, their dependents. Um, because that's an important value to us. It's an important value to make sure that in this incredibly dangerous field that they're protected, especially, you know, we're not here for a job. We promote careers in construction. And while we have developers out there claiming we can't find construction workers to do this work, each of our crafts has over 600 people on the wait list because we want to bring people in, but we need projects like this with apprentice opportunities to actually bring folks in. So that is the huge struggle for us. We want to bring in more folks into the unionized construction industry. Obviously, people don't want to work for subpar wages and substandard conditions. Thank you. And I also ask you just generally, what other things protect workers when they are members of unions? In terms of health and safety, can you describe some of the things unions do on the site to protect the health and safety of workers? Absolutely. So all of our apprentices are fully OSHA trained, they go through extensive certifications, installation, um, proper maintenance of systems. Um, they 
uh, have a, a voice through their union. So oftentimes when it comes to contracting, um, you're paid on an uneven schedule. We make sure that that's protected so that you're paid on an even schedule. We make sure that your schedule is the same. We make sure that you're getting paid overtime when you're getting paid overtime. Oftentimes, so contractors are bringing folks in at odd hours, and we make sure that all of that is well covered. Um, when there's a wage and hour violation, um, we're the ones that handle all of that on their behalf uh, to make sure that they're paid in full. In addition, workers can travel from contractor to contractor because oftentimes construction is, uh, it's not all the time. It takes place in, in different cities um, with different contractors. And so this gives them the flexibility to be able to have steady employment and not be uh, wedded to a single contractor who may be potentially exploiting them. Can I bring you back to the health and safety question? If you were to find a job site was unsafe, what would the union do? Well, I mean, that is definitely something we we consistently report OSHA violations. First off, we uh, all of our members are well trained to identify safety violations. So um, we have a speak up policy on our job sites and we make sure that we are enforcing that um, along with all of um, our workers. But in what uh, my colleague Adam Masters talked about earlier, we did a uh, site seven site visits in Berkeley, and from the photos that we've sent you, you can obviously see even just from the layperson the these significant hazards uh, in impeding walkways. And we submitted those to the city of Berkeley, and we're grateful for the city of Berkeley because they actually got back to us and uh, did follow ups on the job site visits. And so we're greatly appreciative of that. Thank you very much. Um, I did have a question for that. Applicant, if I might, Mr. Traders available. Thank you, Mr. Segro. And um, as Mr. Schrader is approaching, I'm going to suggest that we take a ten-minute break after this question. Okay. okay. Everyone, opportunity to read documents, talk, <laughs> um, so we can come back and continue. This sounds session. fair to me. Councilor, hello, Harris. Mr. Schrader. Good to see you. Um, I had a question. It's kind of on the lines of the question the mayor asked you. Um, the uh, request in the um, appellant's uh, appeal, which they could not have brought to you at DRC, by the way, or design review, because those bodies don't deal with those sort of issues. And I think that's one of the dilemmas is how do we get these, these discussions going earlier. Um, but I'm wondering if you would find those conditions to be financially infeasible for you to fulfill. I don't know because we haven't reviewed them yet. But you, we, you're doing that now we, during this break. We'll do that during the break, and okay. And my guys have been looking at them since we've been okay. talking. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Uh huh. Okay, so um, why don't we take a 15 minute break um, and to give people time to review documents, talk. Then we can we'll keep the public hearing open. We'll reconvene, and uh, we'll be back in 15 minutes. And Councilor Han, we'll go to you first. Recording stopped.
Recording in progress. To the council members on Zoom, we're going to reconvene the meeting. So if you can please rejoin us so we can establish quorum. Okay, the city council is now back in session. I'm going to go next to uh, council member Han. Do you have, do you have a question for any of the parties? Um, I really, because the public hearing is open. Yeah, I kind of thought I had a discussion point. I don't so much have questions. Okay. So why don't you um, keep your hand up? Um, yeah, if, but I could make a motion to close the public hearing. If, uh, well, if we want to hear from the, the applicant before we oh, right. close the public hearing. Okay. Maybe additional questions for parties. Thank you. Are there any other questions from members of the council for any of the parties, the appellant or the applicant? So please raise your hand. Council member Wangraff. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about um, all of the other buildings that are going up. And I think Mr. Schrader mentioned he's had seven buildings in Berkeley or there, some are in process. Um, and I'm wondering whether um, there were, there were union labor contracts on those buildings. And what about all the other buildings that are going up? Uh who are you directing that question to? Council? I think Mr. Schrader. Okay, I just wanted to check. Thank you. Oh, one second. Thank you for the question, Councilwoman. Um, sorry, my phone wants to ring. Um, again, we have built every project in Berkeley open shop. And anywhere between 40 and 60% of the labor ends up being union. Um, currently, I have two projects under construction. Um, one at the corner of Haste and Shattuck called The Lair. Uh, it's been under construction for a few months. I just went through every single subcontract, and we're just under 40% union. We still have about $5 million more of subcontracts to sign. I expect that to hang around 40%, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, one, one of the, you know, the issues we're confronting tonight is these kinds of conditions, feasibility studies, whatever we want to call them, have not been imposed on anyone else. Sounds like maybe post the hard hats ordinance, if it gets passed, will be imposed going forward. But certainly this project um, did not anticipate this. Um, and we just went over all four potential conditions of approval. And there is some things in there that we can live with. And I'd be happy to bring up uh, our attorney, Todd Williams, and then we can even bring Ricardo up, who's the president of West Builders, and we can tell you what we can do. Because I, I want to start construction next week. We have a housing crisis. We need to be building housing, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get this resolved tonight if we can. Councilor Wengraff, do you have any further questions? No, that's it. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, Mr. Schrader, um... sorry, I left my mask outside. Actually, technically, our rules say that you can take your mask off if you're speaking. At the podium. Oh, okay. Yes, that's correct. Thank you. Um, so just for anyone. I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> you're good. Um, at some point, 
we won't have masking requirements. <laughs> um, so I, I recognize that you got these conditions today, as did the council. Um, and I appreciate you um, taking the time to take a look at them, to evaluate um, whether you might be amenable to them being voluntarily imposed as a condition of approval. And so I want to just ask um, uh, if you're prepared to kind of go through them. Yeah, we're prepared to go through them one at a time. I need to bring Todd and Ricardo and Tommy up. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we can kind of go through it. It's a little ad hoc because we just kind of looked at it outside yeah. in the dark, but uh, we'll we'll do our best. I'm going to take this off so I don't yes. fog up my glasses. Thank you. Um, so I guess I'll start at the at the with the first and second uh, requests, which, as stated, say the applicant shall evaluate the feasibility of implementing one or more of the following workforce programs for construction of the project, and then it lists uh, A, B, and C. Um, we would request to add at the end of that qualifier, but is not required to implement any of said programs to make uh -huh. it very clear that this is simply a feasibility evaluation requirement, not a requirement to implement. Mm -hmm. um, the So, I mean, you're kind of predetermining the outcome of that feasibility study, which is you're not going to do it. Well, I don't, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I'm saying that okay. if mean, this think, is, if this was presented with respect. I think it was presented as we're not asking you to do anything. We're just asking you to evaluate. evaluate yeah. And so we just want to make that clear if that's what the ask is. Yeah. And I think that's the intent of my reading of it. So, right. Yeah. Um, the uh, underneath A, B, and C is a, Part of the proposed condition says prior to the commencement of construction, the applicant shall report to the city manager all steps taken to comply with this condition, as well as the results of the applicant's feasibility evaluation and which, if any, program is implemented for the project. As Mr. Schrader stated, this project is ready to start construction tomorrow. Um, these feasibility studies could take months to put together and would hold up the project for months, would cost thousands, if not millions of dollars in delay costs uh, related to this work. So we would strike, we would propose striking prior to the commencement of construction mm -hmm. and say prior to certificate of occupancy, the applicant shall, and then I would insert the words, submit a report to the city manager mm -hmm. regarding all steps taken to comply with this condition. Mm -hmm. Okay. Similarly, the I think that makes sense. The second condition, the applicant shall evaluate the feasibility of making healthcare expenditures of twenty percent to or on behalf of each construction worker during the project, in addition to their regular hourly wages during the period of employment. I'm not sure why this particular. Um, request is you know taken out of number one um wow. it seems that that would sort of be wanted we would want those to be qualified by the same things that i just described that it's not an actual requirement it's just a feasibility determination mm -hmm. and 
it's prior to COO, not prior to construction. Uh-huh. Uh, Obviously, some of that language doesn't make as much sense whether healthcare expenditures are implemented for the project because the project would already have started, you know, before this went on. So it might make sense to strike the, um, well, they do say prior to the commencement of construction. So again, we would want to either edit that or delete uh, the, sec the part of number two that starts with the words prior to the commencement of construction uh, to the end. So it's that last sentence, which is kind of like five lines, six I lines. Mean, you had indicated uh, in your presentation that the contract, I mean, you could probably attest this to contractors represented that healthcare is usually standard. Um, so, it, I mean, it, 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 with the exception of, you know, startup construct, commencement of construction, I understand your desire to begin. Um, could there be um, 30 days after the start of construction or some sort of period? thereafter when that um that report would have to be provided because i think there's some benefit to understanding up front whether healthcare would be provided i'm just trying to think about how that could be implemented feasibly right well and certain subcontractors aren't going to be necessarily I, mean, I, I don't know your business in terms of when they are actually engaged. So uh, I, I think, again, this is part of the problem with doing this from the dais, right? Is we don't know what we don't know sure. sometimes. Um, and there are sometimes lots of this happens. Well, and again, and we, I, this is our fifth hearing. So ideally, we would have continued this to have a dialogue. But right. And I won't, I, I won't, I, I will, if you will just indulge me for 30 seconds, I, I, I don't want to um, revert into lawyer mode too harshly but you know again our, our position is is that you know these requirements are not something that is reflected in the city's code as it stood when we submitted our preliminary application and asking us to do it would be you know a technical violation of that but we we're trying to be cooperative and work, work with the city on this so yes. um i would say again i i think we just would want to hold the line on Number two, and also have it be prior to certificate of occupancy, um, because again, we don't know there might be a sub that gets hired, you know, at the end, at the end or a year down the line. Uh, and so to say we're all going to do that before we start construction just simply is unrealistic. So uh, I think I would just suggest that the first sentence of number two be um, probably promoted and, and be made part D of condition number one. Um, and that the rest of that condition, uh, you know, would be um, deleted, or at least the the part that starts prior, the sentence that starts prior to the commencement of construction. Mm -hmm. um, as to number three, um, I read this as an imposition, um, not as a request for uh, evaluation. It's saying applicants shall at the at a minimum and to the extent allowable by law endeavor to ensure that 30% goal of all workers in the project construction site be residents living within 10 miles of the project site. Again, that's not an evaluation question, that's an imposition. So we would uh, um, not be able, not that's not acceptable to us. Um, as to number four, that is acceptable. It's, it's the data request um, and that uh, would be, and is understandably um, tied to um, prior to certificate of occupancy reporting that information. 
May I ask with respect to number three, um, is it because it would be difficult for you to source 30% of the workers to work on job sites? Do, they, do your workers principally come from out of the, out of the region? And we have a first source requirement, which specifically is intended to ensure that projects do principally try to source local workforce. So I'm curious about what, you know, where does your workforce usually come from and why would that not be technically feasible? Well, what I would say is we make great efforts to um, locally hire, but locally represents not just the Berkeley area, but the El Cerrito, Albany. Uh -huh. And, and surrounding areas, not necessarily just Berkeley. Uh, quite honestly, when we look at the labor pool available, it's fairly competitive marketplace at the moment. There's a shortage of skilled labor. Uh -huh. So any particular city, whether it's Berkeley, San Francisco, they typically don't have enough skilled labor in those areas for any particular trade. So quite honestly, whether it's union or non-union, they're pulling from various locations. Okay. I, and I, and El Cerrito, I think, is within 10 miles of the project site or Richmond or. Right, but presumably some of those workers are also coming from Vallejo or, or you know. I mean, the, I, let me put this in context. I appreciate your consideration of this um, and to have this dialogue. What I will say is that because of state law and the density bonus, normally a project like this if it's over 75 feet, would be subject to the requirement to provide significant community benefits. This project isn't. So that does put us in a position where we we have to look at how to um, either voluntarily impose conditions or find some next proportionality that would justify the imposition of a condition. And I will say, I think it is a priority of the city, and that's why we included in the downtown plan and in the resolution to implement community benefits that we want to have local workers work to help construct these buildings. I think that's a mayor. I, I don't disagree with you. And we have an obligation to first hire already. So we don't need a condition telling us to do it again. It's already part of your code. I don't know. I, 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 I don't, I'm not aware of like whether that, that meets a 20% stand a 30% standard or. That, that's the, the issue is trying to implement a, policy that requires 20 or 30 percent, we may not be able to get that many workers within 10 miles. Okay. I mean, we have a labor shortage. So listen, I've signed that 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 agreement in the past yes. and West does their best to get people within as close as possible. It's not in their best interest to have people driving from Sacramento. Um, but I don't know why we would need a condition if it's already a requirement in the city. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, my assumption, and I would have to speak Ask HACS to comment on this, that this would exceed that standard more, more than likely. Right. But I think the intent, which I do agree with, is that we want to ensure to the extent possible that local residents get priority to work on these jobs because um, we do need young people, sure. skilled, skilled people from our communities to help build these projects. So, um, okay. Yeah, and if I can just add, Mayor, uh, you know, again, I think despite these being well-intentioned, the issue here is when they're not what's on the books and they're and, and layering new requirements on a project that are unexpected at the time that they submit a preliminary application, um, you know, that's where we start to, and, 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 and essentially, you know, making policy decisions 
on the fly yeah. versus how those you know laws were adopted and got put onto the the city's books and and just uh, since you mentioned the density bonus i should just add that um you know when a when a project applicant does uh take a density bonus the city is not essentially permitted to punish the applicant for doing so um yes. and so layering requirements on an applicant who is legally using a density bonus to have a taller building would not be something that you know the city could impose but i appreciate your making the point that of the distinction between you know the taller buildings and and those that would have been subject to those requirements well I, you know i do think that law does if you can make a very clear finding that if there is an impact and then there's a nexus to the proportionality of that impact that a mitigation you could impose a mitigation to address that impact now I'm, I'm not getting into that conversation um because i think there's a, there's a possibility we can resolve this voluntarily i will just say two things one i mean if first source is already a requirement i don't quite understand what the concern is about number three and secondly it says endeavor to ensure i don't think that means that you have to do it um, i'm not a lawyer you're a lawyer and um, but endeavor to ensure does not mean shall. Um, well, it says so said maybe you, you just say the applicant um, shall endeavor to ensure. Shall endeavor to ensure does not mean shall. Correct. Just means that you will you will try. That's my reading of it. Yeah. Well, then I would uh, then I would probably. Well, number one, I, I think it's always problematic. It's when, really, so it's really saying you make a good faith effort to try to do yeah. this. I I, yeah. I don't read it the same way. Uh, you know, I think that. that well, what would what would what would be, in the way that the the you've just articulated shall make a good faith effort. Right. It doesn't say try. That's, it that's says fine. shall endeavor to ensure. Ensure and shall are pretty strong. I think words. saying shall make a good faith effort is accomplishes the spirit and the intent of the of the language. But I guess I would push back on by saying. Again, to the extent that the city's, uh, um, uh, and I apologize, I don't want to first source first source uh, rule applies to the project. It applies to the project, and so having a condition that is trying to repeat that requirement is simply unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, the project is subject to all the rules and regulations. Uh, you know, I think that are I think this would exceed the first source requirement, and so I think what we're asking is, would you consider? Making a good faith effort to try to see if you could increase the amount of local local people who can work on the project site. You may or may not be able to do that, but I think it's worth exploring. I can't speak for the general contractor. Yeah, I think I think our struggle is with the language. You know, and and if it's if it's if this is replaced with, and stop me if I say something that you can't live with. that the applicant shall make a good faith effort, uh, you know, to. Um, okay. Yeah, you'd strike good, the applicant shall make a good faith effort. Yeah, I, I would. I would. I would say, ensure. you know, the applicant shall make a good faith effort um, to attempt. Yeah. Uh, or to meet a thirty percent goal. To meet, yes. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And again, I think that, um, you know, that's sort of really not something that can be evaluated until yeah. COO because it's going to be an ongoing pro process throughout the project. That's fine. Um, and I, with respect to number two, I think your amendment to say at COO makes sense because 
that would be when you would know and you can provide the report to the to the city with regard to that issue. So I think your the, the change you to saying not commence with the construction but CO is reasonable, I think. And they said the you said number four is not a problem. Yeah, four is okay. Okay. Well then I think it sounds like we might have an agreement. We probably need staff to listen to the recording and yeah. rework these I marked conditions. It out. And you, we, we, you and us, we yeah. both marked it. So, yeah. anything else in there? Should it be read back to us? Yeah, I think it will take a um, skilled motion to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to reflect these proposed changes. Yeah, I, we do watch the tapes um, to just verify that what is recorded officially in the record does reflect what right. was discussed. Right. And again, just to be very clear on number two, uh, again, we would ask that the sentence starting with prior to the commencement of construction, the applicant shall report that that entire sentence be stricken. Yes. Yeah, I understand because it's going to be a COO. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And I, I believe planning staff that we have a, um, a condition that says that representations made at the hearing um that agreed to by the by the parties that those are recorded as conditions of approval as well so um so i appreciate mr Sh uh, first of all i appreciate what you do to build needed housing in our community and you and i talked about this project a long time ago yeah. i support the project thank you i think i think i appreciate your willingness to try to find a path forward i think this information is helpful to the city and um, I'm I'm glad that we're going to be able to move your project forward because I think we need that. It's literally a block away from the BART station, a perfect place to build, need a transit-oriented development. Thank you. Okay. So, we'll. You're going to direct staff to draft some conditions to, to send approve to, us. to approve with the conditions that we had agreed on. They're going to okay. go back and check the the tape because we have to act tonight. Okay. pursuant to Senate Bill 330. I, I guess the question that I'm asking is, I want to start on Monday. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> so planning staff, uh, let's, get to, let's, let's get to work on that tomorrow morning. So, Okay, thank you. I mean, if it's not too much trouble, I mean, it is basically one page. Um, is it is it possible to read into the record what the condition? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to do that before we, well, when I make the motion, I'll do that. Okay. Yeah. Do you want me to do it now? Well, I, it would be helpful now only sure. because the public yeah. hearing is still open and we can make a comment yeah, versus if you say something that we disagree with. And so um, at the conclusion of the public hearing, I'm prepared to make a motion to um, approve the project to deny the appeal with the following additional conditions. Um, one, the applicant shall evaluate the feasibility. I'm going to take this off. Shall evaluate the feasibility. <laughs> of one or more of the following workforce programs for the construction of the project period, but is not required to implement any said program, correct? That's where you wanted that? Uh, correct, I mean, probably a, a comma, but yes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. comma, but is not required to implement any yeah. said program. Um, and then we'll proceed with the language stated there and A, B, and C. And then in the paragraph there under C, it would say prior to the um, issuance of a certificate of occupancy, so striking the words commencement of construction, the applicant shall be re 
shall be required to submit a report to the city manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that reflects what you had stated, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Moving now to number two, um, it would be the, the same language in the first two sentences, applicable shall evaluate the feasibility of making healthcare expenditures of 20% to or on behalf of each construction worker working on the project in addition to the regular hourly wages during the period of employment. The healthcare expenditures may be made to a health plan in which the construction worker is enrolled to the comma to the construction workers um, health savings account comma and or construction work in the form of cash um, prior to the issuance of a certificate of occupancy correct striking the words commencement of construction the applicant shall report to the city manager etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and again i think for ease actually again if number two could just be made d um uh -huh. and but just include those first Two sentences. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And that way, that, they're not that, repeating the same. The same thing. Language and we have the same quality. Effectuates the same outcome. So that's fine. So, the language in um, the first two sentences in number two would be made a new subsection D to number one, and thereafter the language around the prior to the issuance of certificate occupancy, et cetera, et cetera, that would apply. That would just be deleted. Um, number three, the applicant shall make a good faith effort to. Um, uh, attempt to meet a 30% goal of all workers on the project construction site being residents, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can As, you read that again? The applicant shall make a good faith effort to, I, I'm going to wordsmithing based on what you told me, um, to attempt to meet a 30% goal. I think that's what I heard you say. You. Okay, so we're striking the words at a minimum yeah. through uh, ensure that. So the applicant shall make a good faith effort to attempt to meet a 30% goal. It's a, I thought that's what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm just I'm 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 just confirming and that. And then I mean, I would also argue that, you know, probably a last sentence may be appropriate that any requirements, you know, applicable by law shall shall apply. So if there is a first source requirement, that applies. Um, I think that was that was the intent of saying to the extent allowable by law. And then number four, you had stated that the applicant has no objection to that. Uh, no. Yeah, we're okay with number four. Okay. And, and just for clarification, number four stops at the indented. It's not that next sentence in, in terms of that's just that's part of their argument. So I think. Correct. The, yeah. the, the, the sentence, these conditions, et cetera. That's not part of the condition. Um, yeah. Right. Because these are these are voluntarily agreed to. Yeah. OK. OK. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Councilor Han, sounds like we have a path forward. Let's let's move. Let's go to a vote. Um, well, I'm sorry, I've had my hand up for yeah, you're minutes or so. You're recognized. Uh, so first of all, the I I believe the public hearing is still open. Correct. Um, so I'll go ahead and make a motion to close the public hearing. Second. No, no motion has been made. Um, yes. Correct. No. But I'd like to make a motion to close the public hearing, and then perhaps we can move to a motion, and then I'll make my comment. 
Is there a second to close the public a hearing? So it's a procedural motion. So I'll ask the clerk to call the roll and closing the public hearing. Councilmember Hazarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? No. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arheen? Yes. The public hearing is now closed. Thank you. Councilor Hahn, back to you. Um, I think I'll go ahead and move to. I would um, like to make the motion. Okay. Um, I just thought it, I'd make my comments after the motion had been made. So, if you want well, to make it. Okay. I have not made a motion yet. Um, I had stated that was the motion I intended to make, but it's not on the floor. Would you allow okay. me to make it since I I, helped I was, yes, I was going to move yes, what you had intended, but go ahead and do it and I'll second it. I'd like to move that we um, adopt the resolution affirming the ZAB decision and do not dismiss the appeal with the conditions that we have read into the record voluntarily agreed to by the applicant. Second. And back to you, Councilor Hahn. Okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so I, the comments I really want to make here, they're, they're partly obviously germane to, to this project, but I'll just say that I think they're germane to all projects in Berkeley. Um, one of the first things I learned in law school a thousand years ago is that Legally required and not legally required is not the line between right and wrong. There is a space that is for ethical and moral action. And you don't have to be compelled by a rule or a law to do the right thing. So I think it's, for me, a little sad to have an applicant argue that they aren't going to do the right thing because they don't think the law compels them to do it. One is always free to do the right thing without being compelled. We cannot build housing in Berkeley off the backs of low-paid, vulnerable workers who can't afford to live in the Bay Area and whose injuries aren't covered by healthcare. Construction is among the most dangerous work that exists in our society with very high injury and fatality rates. And I think it's unconscionable that we would ask people to do this work without robust healthcare to support them. I, I find it kind of ironic to hear discussion of a shortage of labor and of skilled labor when the whole point of the apprenticeship is to build a highly trained, high quality workforce whose existence accrues to every builder's benefit. Job site safety, work quality and efficiency are all enhanced with project labor agreements and union labor. If Boeing hadn't moved production of their 737 MAX planes from Seattle with union labor to North Carolina, where they worked hard 
to make sure they did not have a unionized workforce. I believe those airplanes would not have been falling out of the sky because union labor is better trained, empowered to point out safety and manufacturing issues. That is true not just for airplanes, but for buildings too, and just about anything that you make. So I really think it is a shame that we listen to, we get to the point where we have, a, have to have an appeal and then a rebuttal to appeal. Take the time to do all this negotiation when doing the right thing is always in one's power. So I am very glad that these, um, I think kind of soft um, commitments have been accepted. Um, personally, I'd like to see more. Um, I would have liked to see a voluntary commitment to comply with the spirit of hard hat or to work with a project labor agreement. It may not be in our power to compel those things, but it is in the applicant's power, any applicant's power to do the right thing. So I look forward to voting for this. And I look forward to moving hard hats forward as quickly as possible. But mostly I look forward to our builders and applicants in Berkeley doing the right thing with respect to labor. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Harrison. Um, yes, I want to make some general comments and then I have a question for the mayor. So I want to see the language um, when you uh, just put up so I can Clear on edit it on the screen. We read into the record, but I'm happy to read. Yeah, it'd be great. To you. Okay, can I? I'll just make my general comments first, though. I'll give you a second. Um, I think that um, for me, when we look at the purpose of SB 330, is to make sure that housing gets built. It's not, I don't think, to make sure it gets built at all costs and with no other goals in mind. The purpose of the five hearings, for example, was to prevent people that were appealing, going back and forth, appealing at DRC, going to ZAB, going back to DRC, going to Landmarks, and you know, making this thing stretch out forever. There is not a single one of these hearings until today where labor can express its needs. And so I am very hopeful that our state delegation will look, with labor's help, and making some changes to SB 330 because having fair work standards is not the same as whether the building has corbels or not. We, have, we have, are treating human beings and their lives and their health and safety on the job site the same as a design question. And I think I just fundamentally object to that. I understand we're stuck with that. I just don't think that that is the way we should value human beings. So I'm really hoping that our state delegation will take this on. This is not to slow down projects, but it's in order to consider that we want people to be safe on the job site. You heard what unions do to ensure safety. They can close down a job site. They can make sure that if somebody does get injured, they've got that health care they need. So I'm very concerned about, about the schema in general. This is not a statement about this project. I also do not believe in my heart of hearts that using union labor makes projects more expensive in the end. We did a lot of work 
before we invoked the community benefits uh, package, before I was on council, but was an advocate for it, looking at the fact that projects built with skilled labor come in on time, better quality, and less need for redo. And I think the idea that using someone who has a skill to do their job will inevitably cost you more money is not correct. Um, I also really hate the term open shop. It's like, to me, I'm sorry, it's like pro-life. It's a euphemism for non-union. Um, and I just don't essentially agree with, with that at all. Um, I think my other issue is to um, is the idea that we need to hurry up on hard hats because what we have right now is a situation of not having these rules in place, which leaves the staff without tools that they may very want, well want to use, and which alerts developers to the fact that these are going to be requirements. So again, I do resonate with Mr. Schrader's comment that you know we're at this point and he wants to start building next week, but that's because of the way it's built into the process. Again, the earlier hearings have nothing to do with any of this. So we've got to fix that. We need to think hard about where, when we do hard hats, we're going to require that to come in before application so that it's clear from the very beginning, not something that gets dealt with down the road. Because once the staff has deemed that a project is complete, what we heard tonight from the applicant's attorneys is you can't then impose a condition. So we better make darn sure that hard hats is invoked at the right stage of this process or it will be meaningless. Um, and finally, I want to say something about the proportionality of these specific conditions. They are completely proportional to what we're trying to achieve in health and safety. We have a governmental need to understand how and to what extent healthcare is provided to people in our, that work in our community. We have a governmental need to understand how and to what extent youth are given reasonable job opportunities for apprenticeships. And we also have a governmental need and very much, I think, a duty to understand generally what was the union work that was done versus the open shop. And as you heard, while it's 40%, that sounds really impressive. That's because some of the bigger contractors like elevator operators are union, but you heard all the trades that are not union on this site, electricians, sheet metal workers, plumbers. These are the people we rely on to do work throughout our community, not just on these big projects. I don't want them getting hurt. I don't want them to be without these rights. So those are my generalized comments. And now I just have one question, Mr. Mayor, about the motion. I'm actually trying to put it in a word doc while we're talking. So okay. So, okay. so people can uh, my question is I want to make sure that the feasibility of both apprenticeships and healthcare will have to be reported on. By making two a 1D, I am worried because the words at the beginning of number one is choose between one of these options. Yeah, I, I understand. So I, there was I a, need to have that language repeated. Yeah, yeah before I, two. I got what you are saying when I put it in a Word doc. So because we're consolidating it as a sub subpart B, and I'm sharing screen here, yeah. um, the language in the prior number two that said the report, the feasibility evaluation on whether the healthcare expenditures are implemented for the project, and the, and the number of construction worker recipients, 
that was not also incorporated in that that um, that language through the consolidation. I think the intent is to fold that in too. Yes. And I'm just looking to the applicant. I don't. It's not a. That's substitute. why I voted against closing the hearing because we ask him that. And he's shaking his head. So. Um, Shaking his head or nodding? Give me one second. We're here in the boardroom. Yeah. That's what the report is as well, has to focus on. Correct. Yes, agreeable. Oh, good. Once it once you put in a Google Doc, I understood what you meant. So. Oh, thank you. Okay, so those are those are my only comments. I would also just like to say, once again, that I do not really believe that our legislative delegation believes we should be build housing on the backs of labor, and I'm asking them to really think about this issue. And to not think about it as the same as a setback or, you know, a design element. These are human beings. So let's not treat them the same as a corbel. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Council Member Taplin. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I realize that we have a limited number of hearings, but I believe that we still have a responsibility to model the kind of growth we want to see in our communities local hire, apprenticeships, workplace protections. These are values of our community and we should defend those values. Um, as one of the co-sponsors uh, co of Hard Hats, I think this underscores urgency of the ordinance. Um, to be honest, it, it shouldn't take this kind of um, going back and forth to ensure these kinds of protections. Uh, so I look forward to seeing this going forward. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, Council Vice Mayor Bartlett, you're next. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, you know, longtime viewers of these, uh, these, these land use dispute hearings will uh, recognize a familiar refrain, I always say. Uh, I always say that I feel uh, underqualified to comment on these things because they're usually around some architectural issue, uh, you know, whether it's um, too much shadow here or, or how big of a floor plan this is, um, but this is one of the rare, pro rare moments where uh, the conflict uh, and solution intersects with uh, my wheelhouse, uh, which is uh, economic justice uh, and economic inclusion. And it's something that, you know, my district we've been fighting for for many decades. Uh, and now uh, I'm really, really pleased to, to one, thank you uh, to the applicants um, and the developers here uh, for, for, for joining us in this process because ultimately, uh, you know, it is our duty to make sure that the benefits that accrue from this massive abundance of wealth that we're capturing and channeling in our community accrue to all members of the community. And that no one in our community is relying upon the county for healthcare. And that people as a whole have access to job training, through, through all the good stuff 
into the economy. And these large buildings, these large processes, these large businesses, which is what you are, you're a business. Uh, you know, your door is being opened to people in the community is precisely what they've been asking for since before I arrived. So I'm very thankful and, uh, and happy this morning that we're here now in this very first step to achieving a bit of economic justice uh, within the manifold of our housing development plans. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. We'll go next to uh, Councilmember Robinson. Uh, look, I don't need to say much at this point. I had remarks prepared about labor and reviewing the details of the proposed conditions, but I'll throw those out. Um, I'm sure it was much more uncomfortable for those directly involved, but I just want to thank all the parties for the negotiation and compromise that just happened in this room, uh, and Mayor Ergin particularly. Thank you for guiding the conversation to a consensus. I'm really grateful for where we're landing, and most of all, so excited about the project, the meat of which we've barely talked about tonight, uh, which will bring needed housing to downtown and is part of a transformation of Herald Way that I'm really excited about. Uh, enthusiastic about the project and enthusiastic about a, a future where the solutions to our housing crisis bring more high-paying jobs for local residents along with them. Thank you all. Thank you. Are there any other members of the council that wish to be recognized on this item? Okay, if not, I just want to just make a few closing comments and I'll just share screen so we pull up the language once again, and then I'll send this to clerk and planning staff and legal. Um, so first and foremost, um, I want to just once again thank the applicant for coming forward with a needed housing project literally a block away from our BART station. This is an example of good transit-oriented development that we need to not just address our student housing crisis, but also the broader crisis of housing in the region. Um, that being said, I do think the issues raised in the appeal do warrant um, discussion and consideration. I'm glad that we're able to reach a voluntary agreement to um, have these studies, um, to have this information, and, and, to, and to evaluate these particular um, requirements um, as you're implementing the project. Um, and so I really want to thank the applicant for your willingness to reach an agreement on this. Um, and I just second all that the council said that um, I think this is an example that we do need to amend um, Senate Bill 330 um, because it prevents the city from continuing a hearing. In this case, we would have continued it so that we can have a conversation with the applicant um, to take reasonable steps that a project does comply with applicable laws. In this case, our general plan, conformance with our general plan. And so in this case, we were left to have to negotiate from the dais, and I admit that it is um, kind of an uncommon practice. But I do think that we need to look at providing flexibility so things like this can be resolved and we can move needed housing projects forward. So I second the comments made that, um, uh, you know, we do need to look at that. Now, and I'm not saying that these hearings should be in ad infinitum. You know, look at 2211 Herald Way. That was several years of, of process. And certainly that was a reason why that project never moved forward. Because by the time they actually went to go build it, the costs increased, and this they had a union PLA, but the costs had increased, and that project never moved forward. So we do need to make the process easier, but we also have to recognize that we have a critical need for a skilled and trained workforce because part of the reason why these projects aren't getting built in time and part of the reason why um, they're more expensive is because we don't have the workers to actually work on the job sites to get these projects done more quickly. And I want to make sure that as we're building more housing in our city, that we are also creating opportunities for people that live in Berkeley to help build the housing 
um, in our city, that they have an opportunity to live in our city, in the cities that they work in, that they have access to healthcare. I think that healthcare is a is a basic human right, and we shouldn't have to negotiate that. And I think that should just be a standard. Um, until such time that we have single payer healthcare in this country, we're going to have to do better. And I think it is unacceptable that, and I'm not saying that this particular project is is the cause of that, but we saw in the, the example tonight of a project just a few blocks away from here with really significant safety violations that the city is now investigating, that are putting the employees at risk. And you know we cannot put the people that are working on these projects at risk. That's going to delay the time it takes to complete the project. Uh, we need to prioritize the safety of our workers. And so having these standards, having healthcare, I think is really critical to make sure that as we're building needed housing, that we're also not building it on the backs of low-wage workers. We're not putting people at risk, that we're prioritizing the health and safety of our construction workforce. So um, I, I, I actually thank the appellants for bringing forward these issues. And I will say that I think this is an example of why we do need the hard hats ordinance, why we do need to have a clear set of policies. That ordinance is still in development, um, but um, you know that would provide, I think, a clear set of standards for not just having local workers, um, giving opportunities for our young people um, and people that are unemployed, that want to work in the construction trades, that want to have good paying jobs to work in our city, but also to have access, basic access to healthcare, which I once again fundamentally believe should be something that is a guaranteed right, just like housing should be a guaranteed right for people in this country. So. Um, to be continued in that conversation. That's not on our agenda today, but certainly I think it raised a lot of questions around the need to have some clear requirements so that projects like this um, would have to comply. Obviously, we need to balance that with you know feasibility, but at the same time, I think that um, healthcare should be provided and we should create that pathway so that we have people building these projects, that we're getting things built, that we're making it more economically feasible, and that we're actually lifting people up and providing a pathway to good jobs in our city. So with that, I'd like to um, just pull up the conditions again. Give me one second. Um, I'll just, we'll just go through it one more time. Um, so um, once again, the applicant shall evaluate the feasibility, et cetera, et cetera, but, but is not required to implement any set program. I think that's what was discussed. The language in A, B, and C would remain as written in the appellant's proposed conditions. We'd move this language. Um, the applicant shall evaluate the feasibility of making healthcare expenditures of 20% to or on behalf of each construction worker working on the project in addition to their regular hourly wages during the period of employment. The healthcare expenditures may be made to a health plan in which the construction workers enroll to the construction workers' health savings account and or the construction worker in the form of cash. That's moved as a subsection D. And then language in the subsequent paragraph, prior to the issuance of a certificate of occupancy and striking the words commencement of construction, comma, the applicant shall submit a report to the city manager, et cetera, et cetera. And then adding the corresponding language to reflect that the, the analysis on the healthcare expenditures has also been added to this particular um, condition. Um, number two, the applicant shall, or yeah, number two, and this would, I guess, be a number three now. Number two, the applicant shall make a good faith effort to attempt to meet a 30% goal. Is that correct? That's what we discussed, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then this is the language that I think I said, but I just want to just get clarification. This paragraph does not negate any requirement by the applicant to meet any other applicable requirements required by law. Um, I think it, it's just a restatement of fact. So, 
And then number three is was I think was agreed upon. So the motion is to approve the resolution, to approve the permit, deny the appeal, and to approve with these conditions as a volunteer agreed to by the applicant in the public hearing. Let's call the roll. Second. Councilmember Kazarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arguin? Yes. Okay, that motion does carry. You have your use permit. Thank you. Um, so we'll now, um, that completes our business of the council this evening. Is there any public comment on non-agenda matters from anyone that has not previously spoken? Seeing no raised hands, I'll move to adjourn. Second. Seconded by Councilor Robinson's call the roll and adjourn. To adjourn, Councilmember Kazarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Councilmember Bartlett? Yes. Oh, great, thank you. Harrison? Yes. Juan? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Arguin? Yes. We are adjourned. Thank you all. Have a good evening. All right. Recording stopped.